Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Ordered? Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
All right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 6th of August, 2015. It's Thursday. It's about nine minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. So if all that's true where you're at, we are, in fact, live, which means you can call in, participate live in the show, get on the air, all that, 800 932-1980 can also go to the chat room located at our website theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com you'll see the chat link click on it bang you're in there can ask questions. You can make comments in there. Uh, you don't have to. You don't have to participate in the show. You can just chat with the other folks. <coughs> well, <clears throat> oh yeah, and then there's Yahoo Instant Messenger. Almost forgot. AVRN Talk is the screen name for that. That'll come straight to me. All righty, let's see here. Okay, well, I got a bunch of stuff on my screen here, but I'm going to do something a little different. Well, I'm going to add something a little different. I don't know if you'll uh if you'll do it or not because I know some of you out there had been listening to the uh debate or debates, I guess. Yeah, I guess they split them up in two uh two groups, a group of 7, the lower ranking candidates that really don't have that much in the polls, and then the top ten. And uh, I know that, you know, some of you are out there listening to that, and, uh, hey, you know, if I wasn't doing this, I probably would have listened to it also, and I probably will listen to it. However, if you did listen to it, how's about calling in or going in the chat room and letting everybody know what you thought of it. You know, I know it's all show, but hey, you know what? If if you went to the circus, I would say, hey, what was the circus like? You know, just because, you know, you tell people what it what happened and what it was like doesn't mean, uh, oh, and boy, is this ever important. And I don't know how important it is, but it's it's entertainment for sure, okay? I did read a little bit about it. I mean, beforehand, they had it in a big stadium, okay, in, uh, I think, Cleveland. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, stadiums that they, uh, indoor stadium, they play baseball, uh, basketball in or something. Oh, a lot of people, right? Nationally televised. Big deal. It's like a circus. I mean, uh, entertainment. I mean, uh, important political uh, debate. Yeah. Anyway, so... Why don't you call in if you did listen or watch? Because from what I understand, you know, it was, you know, of course, televised, but Fox Radio also, I guess, simulcasted for those of you that, you know, just wanted to listen. So if you watched it or listened to it, uh, maybe you could uh, call in 800-932-1980 let us give us the rundown man what was it like i mean what was it uh who won 
And it does matter who won. I mean, you know, as much as, you know, who wins the Super Bowl, who wins the, uh, you know, baseball game. Hey, people come into the chat room and talk about, you know, baseball games they're watching and stuff. Hockey games they're watching and stuff. Why not this? And, you know, I'm honestly, I'm interested to know. Just like baseball and, you know, those other things, I'm not usually going to sit there and waste three hours of my life watching it, but I don't mind hearing about it. And I think a lot of listeners out there that may have missed it may be interested also. And a lot of listeners out there, although they may not admit it, probably watched it. And, uh, you know, they can get, you know, their opinion about, uh, you know, who won? What do you think? But if you're not going to do that, then I will just carry on and uh, we'll do this because none of it might matter because, you know, uh, okay. So September's coming and, uh, boy, I hear a lot about the end of the world coming in September, believe me. And, uh, you know, everything from asteroids to this to that to nuclear war, I mean, everything. You know, it's all just going to happen in September. But here's something. (laughs) This is a headline. This unnerving document harbors a huge hidden secret about massive solar storms. Hmm... The U.K.'s Space Weather Preparedness Strategy has updated their report to include the possibility of severe space weather as a threat to the world. The threats added included solar flares, solar energetic particles. (laughs) Do you know what solar energetic particles are? That's like these particle beam weapons they're trying to develop, except a big one, you know, like, well, the size of the sun. That could be bad, huh? And coronal mass ejections. Oh, man, I had those during that, you know, when I thought I had food poison. Oh, wait, no, those weren't coronal mass ejections. That was something else. Never mind. They warn of localized power outages, disruptions in satellites and GPS, Man, what are people going to do when they don't have GPS units to give them the wrong directions? I mean, they're going to have to go and get lost on their own. It's just going to be sad. It's going to be a big mess. Increased radiation to aircrew. Problems with transportation. Aircrew. And, oh, oh, by the way, folks, that means you, too, if you're on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, Problems with transportation. Yeah, like airplanes falling out of the sky, that'd be bad. And disturbances in small part electronic systems. Like your computers, your... uh, Everything, really. I mean, even... Now, now here's something to consider, folks. I know a lot of you out there are, are, you know, working on getting prepared and stuff. And um, I think probably a lot of you, because I am, I do... I like them. The LED flashlights, right? Because the batteries last longer. It's a nice bright light, right? They're good. I like them. And they're cheap. However, open it up. Open it up and look behind those little uh, 
light-emitting diodes, and you'll see a circuit board. Okay? Well, during one of these solar things, that's a bad thing. Okay, so see, your emergency flashlights, if they are not protected, may not work if one of these things happens. So you may think, well, yeah, okay, fine, the lights can go out, but, uh, you know, huh. Yeah, well, same goes for the LED light bulbs. Circuit boards, they got little circuit boards in them. Open one up and look, I I have, uh, you know. Actually, you know, I didn't do it because I was curious. I did it because, well, I break things, okay? Yeah, I'm 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 rough on stuff and things break around me and uh you know, one of those things broke and I looked at it and uh you know, is the, there's a circuit board there. Then I started looking at other LED things, they're all the same. So, you know, why I'm telling you this is just because if you are storing uh LED things you know, for emergency, you may want to consider uh, some sort of protection. And it's really simple, okay? It's it's not complicated. Uh, you can go down to any one of your Army surplus stores or go online and get them. they got to be metal, all right? Uh, not, not these plastic knockoff ones, but, you know, get yourself... And I, I'm saying this because they're also waterproof, you know. Well, as long as the seal is good around them, which you can do that yourself. You, right, you can figure that out. But get a uh, ammo can, a metal ammo can, all right? And what you want to do is put all your stuff that, you you know, electronic stuff that you think, well, you know, if there's an EMP, uh, this stuff is fried. Anything like that. Put it in that metal ammo can and either, you know, put the metal ammo can in the ground. It doesn't have to be completely buried. It just has to be grounded, right? Okay, so you get my point. You Or if you're not going to do that, you know, uh, put a screw in it, get some copper wire and ground it. Okay? And now what you've done is you've basically built yourself a very simplistic you know, Faraday cage, which will, uh, what it kind of does is divert the uh, EMP into the ground rather than into your electronics where it will ruin them, you know. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. And you can use anything. Uh, Me and Melissa were talking just the other day about, uh, like, a metal garbage can, you know, for, you know, if you've got a lot of stuff like that, you can get a metal uh, a metal garbage can. It's got to be metal, though. Keep that in mind. And, uh, you know, ground it. You have to ground it. And then you also want to, like, keep your electronics actually off the metal. You see, you know what I'm saying? Don't have them touching the metal. The, because the can itself is kind of a, uh, it's kind of a shield. And you don't want them touching the shield. Right, you want the shield to just be able to absorb it and and then have it go into the ground, not into your electronics. That's the whole, you know. Understand what's going on, and you'll under. This is really easy, okay? So you know you could do that, and and you should, 
if you have electronics. Now, I don't know what kind of uh, how much electronics you're going to want to need uh, during an emergency, but certainly uh, LED flashlights is one of those things to consider because they do have circuitry in them. All right. Anyhow, so let's get back to uh, the end of the world here. Uh, the report further outlines that the worst-case scenario would only allow Earth a 12-hour warning. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of time to run down to the store and get all this stuff uh, beforehand. So you're going to probably want to think ahead a little, like now. <laughs> Anyway, so there you go. So, you know, people are starting to... Uh, incredible places. You know, the UK Space Weather Preparedness Strategy. You know, people are starting to take this seriously as something that could... Uh, gee, this could really happen. And it really could. Now, uh, let's see here. Oh, well... More bad news, huh? How about that? You know, and that that stuff you can kind of do stuff, you know, something about. Unless uh, this, an expert that correctly called the last two stock market crashes. Uh oh, guess what? He's predicting another one. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's not really. I don't consider this like a, a what a prediction, eh? This is a prediction. You know, you don't really have to be Kreskin to to come up with the idea that uh, the stock market, I think, is going to crash. Well, the stock market obviously is in a bubble. That's the nice thing they say. In other words, it's overinflated, meaning. You know, the stuff they're telling you is worth ten bucks, and and they're selling it back and forth for you know nine and eleven bucks back and forth, back and forth, isn't really worth but a dollar. Okay, that's what this means, and that that's really all it means. I mean, it means that. The stocks they're trading at the levels they're trading are not, they do not have that value. They really don't have that value. And I, and I don't know if 10 to 1 is even fair. It's more like, you know, they may be trading it at $10 and the stock's actually only worth $0.10. Cents. I don't know. Because most companies out there, you know, the world economy is slowing down. Well, they keep monkeying the numbers, but the bottom line is people, we, we are manufacturing, manufacturing slowed down, shipping has slowed down. Now, that's something that you can go check. Go check the shipping. Volume of shipping. And it really doesn't matter, you know, just worldwide shipping. Because the thing is, it's like it doesn't matter what they're shipping, what the value is, what they're shipping. It's the volume. If the volume is going down worldwide, well, then less things are going to have to be made because less things are being bought. Well, if you're running a company and you're selling less things now, how is it that the value of your company keeps going up? 
Well, because we just, you know, and what companies do is this. I'm a CEO, so I go tell the the number two guy, say, hey, listen now. And, of course, it's much more complicated than this, but this is basically the game. A company will say, uh, hmm. So, I'm going to sell some of our stock for uh, nine bucks. And I want you to go out there and I want you to buy it for nine dollars and ten cents. Yeah, okay. He's using company money. Who cares? So they're buying their own stock, okay? They're pumping up their own stock. So, of course, Joe Schmo down the street sees, hey, wait a minute, this was trading at $9, and now it's selling for nine ten. It's going up. I better get on board. So they sucker all these people not in the company to, to start going along with it, too, but it's all fabricated, folks. It's really a crime, but, of course, we have a Justice Department that is bought and paid for by Wall Street. As a matter of fact, the former Attorney General is back in his corner office. Yeah, the corner office of his Wall Street office. That never got cleaned out, never got used by anybody else. The door got locked, and hey, it'll be sitting here for you when you get done playing around at the Justice Department. Yeah, that's Eric Holder. I really ought to be in prison. I mean, really, really ought to be in prison. But this is why. This is why this is allowed to go on. And it's a big con game, folks. And if you fall for it, Look, if a casino ran their business the way Wall Street's running their business, they'd all go to jail. Oh, organized crime, these dirty, rotten mobsters, blah, blah, blah. But this is what Wall Street does day in and day out. That's not to say you can't, you know, if you get lucky, you can't, you know, win money. Just like in, just like in Vegas, you can win money there. People do. But the vast majority lose money. Even though they make it look like everyone's a winner. Everyone's a winner. Really, everyone's a winner. Who's paying for these lights then? If everyone's a winner, you'd be out of business. But we don't think. Well, especially when there's free booze. You know, I mean, hey, throw a nickel in the slot, here comes the chick with a with a drink. You know, I mean, hey, of course nobody thinks. But, you know, the fact is... Just look around. If everybody won, there'd be no casino there. Huh? Anyway, he says, uh, What I'm about to share with you is quite stunning. A well-respected financial expert that correctly predicted the last two stock market crashes is now warning that we might we are right on the verge of the next one. John Hussman is a former professor of economics and international finance at the University of Michigan. And the information in his latest weekly market comment is staggering. Since 1970, there have only been a handful of times when a combination of market signals that Hussman uses have indicated that a major market peak has been reached. 
72, 2000, and 2007. Each of those peaks was followed by a dramatic stock market crash. Now, for the first time since the last financial crisis, all four of those signals appeared once again during the week of July 17th. If Hussman's analysis is correct, this could very well mean that the next great stock market crash in the United States and, uh, folks, if the stock market crashes in the United States, it's not just going to be affecting the United States. It's going to be a worldwide catastrophe. Okay? You know, it's that whole new world order, one world economic system thing they got going on that they like so much. Yeah, well, bad thing about it is, or maybe it's the thing they want about it is, uh, when one crashes, they all crash. It was an excellent article by Jim Quinn of the Burning Platform that first alerted me to Hussman's latest warning. If you don't follow Quinn's work, you should. When someone is repeatedly correct about the financial markets, we should all start paying attention. In 2007, Hussman warned us about what was coming in 2008, but almost no one listened. Now he's sounding the alarm again, and guess what? Almost no one's listening. According to Hussman, when there is a confluence of four key market indicators, that tells us that the market has peaked and is in danger of crashing. Oh, let's see here. He cited the metric among the indicators that foreshadowed declines after peaks in 72, 2000, 2007. Less than 27% of investment advisors polled by investors' intelligence who say they are bearish. Valuations measured by the Schiller price-to-earnings ratio are greater than 18 times. Less than 60% of the S&P 500 stocks above their 200-day moving averages. And record high on a weekly closing basis. The most recent warning was the week ended July 17, 2015. Hussman said it's often said that they don't ring a bell at the top, and that's true in many cycles. But it's interesting that the same ding has been heard at the most extreme peaks among them. So, you know, I'm just trying to let you know, folks, that you know, you hear gloom and doom all day, I'm sure, if you listen to uh, alternative radio. Or if you read the news, you know, I mean, just read the news and, and you've got uh, gloom and doom all over the place, too. But, you know, when you have experts that have been watching and that they have some track record of being right, then uh, maybe you should listen. You know, and a lot of people have been saying that on AVR. And, you know, of course, we've got financial survival that sells gold and silver. And gold is at a, given given the situation, it's extraordinarily low. Okay? Gold is extraordinarily low. And uh, it's a great time to buy. I mean... Honestly, it's just a great time to buy because really that's the that's the deal. And I, although that doesn't seem to be the trend because the trend seems to be everybody wants to buy gold when it starts going up. 
But if you want to make money, if you re- if you want to really, well, how do I put it? Because make money really isn't the best way to put that. But if you, because the whole deal is to try to preserve the wealth you have. Because man, the paper paper money is in trouble. I mean, you talk about a bubble, man. Paper money's the biggest bubble going. And plus, you know, I was just saying earlier today uh, about a stamp. These stamps are 49 cents now. I had no idea. It's been years since I bought a stamp. But I had to buy a stamp the other day. And it was, you know, 49 cents. Wow, 49 cents. It really wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't that long ago when a stamp was three cents. And that's not because stamps have, you know, gone so high up in value. It's because the dollar that you buy those stamps with has lost so much value. That's quite a decline. Anyway, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a bit.
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan, and you're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is the 6th of August, 2015. It's Thursday. I don't know. I, I feel a little tired, folks. I probably sound a little tired. I, this smoke is starting to get to me. It's not so bad right this second, but I tell you, I don't get much sleep. Uh, well, I don't get much solid sleep. I keep waking up hacking and coughing and all that, you know, because it's just... The wind around here is funny, you know, because you, you can go to... you. Oh, boy, this isn't so bad. I can actually breathe. And you go to sleep, and, and then, you know, an hour and a half, two hours later, man, you wake up, and it's just thick. You know, got to get some water, got to get do something, you know. It's just... It's getting old. I'll tell you, this smoke is really getting old around here. Although, I am thankful that I am uh, no longer battling the flu, so that's good at least. But anyway... It is uh, the uh, 6th of August. It's about 8.44, 8.45. You can call in 800-932-1980. Apparently nobody did watch the uh, the uh, debates, or at least they don't want to talk about it. Maybe that's it. Maybe everybody watched it and they just don't want it. They're embarrassed to say, that. yeah, I watched it. Or, or, or maybe it was so pathetic that they're just too distraught to talk about it. I don't know. But if you want to talk about it, tell us all about what it was like, because I didn't see it or hear it. Uh, 800-932-1980. You can tell us all about it. Or you can go to uh, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com, and you can uh, find the chat link there and tell everybody in there. But until you do, I got other stuff. How about this? Oh, uh, this, you know, this this right here is just, this is another one of those things that I used to really focus on. I used to have guests on that, you know, this was their, their issue, and uh, I'd have them on on a regular basis, and I learned an awful lot about it, a lot more than I really want to know, because, boy, I don't want to know about this, but I guess I do, because it's going on, and that's called civil forfeiture. And yeah, like New Mexico's made some strides that you know to stop it. Other states have tried to curb it, but of course the police always find ways around it because they're a bunch of criminals just wearing badges. You know this whole idea about well we can't seize it, but we'll bring you in and uh, and then we'll bring in the feds. And you know I I'm not so sure that's legal. I'm not so sure that this is a. I don't know if anybody's challenged it on a. Uh, you know, on a good uh, basis. Because the thing is, you know, people challenge stuff all the time, but on a, um, you know, they... And the sad thing is, see, somebody will make a, a an argument, and it'll lose, it'll be bad, and then somebody will say, well, I'm challenging that, ah, it's already been made. Well, maybe not, but they do it anyway. They The courts are corrupt. I, you know, there there is that going on. Folks, the courts are corrupt, but here's the thing. Uh, let's see. Government seizes vehicles worth $1 million, brings no charges, and keeps the cars. That's right. That's the nature of civil forfeiture. Now, you got to understand, civil forfeiture was the brainchild of the geniuses in Congress who thought, 
Well, let's really stick it to these drug dealers. But the police saw a way to make money, and now they stick it to everybody. What's that, ten bucks in your pocket? Well, I've got reason to believe in my twisted brain that that's drug money. Give me that. And then they just call it civil forfeiture, and you're free to go. They basically just robbed your $10, and now you're free to go, because they said in their twisted little mind that we believe that's drug money. And you think that's an exaggeration. It might be for 10 bucks, but for 10,000 bucks, it's not. Maybe even 1,000 bucks. You get pulled over by a cop and you got $1,000 in cash in your pocket. You are in danger of him just saying, "Give me that." Oh, he'll write your receipt and say this is a civil forfeiture and you're free to go. No charges, no crime, no accusation of a crime even against you. Drop the charges, keep the property. I guess the person behind Seikai Company LTD should feel appreciative. He actually was graced with charges rather than just had his purchased vehicle seized and spirited away after uh, away with a mumbled explanation of some dogged paperwork. Seiki uh, Company bought several luxury vehicles from a place called Texas Motors, which is oddly enough located in Florida, but anyway, with the intent to sell them for a significant markup to wealthy Japanese citizens. This is possibly illegal, but not because of any illicit export ban. But the only reason it verges on illegal is because resellers like Seiki ever so lightly tread on the toes of major manufacturers. And their authorized dealers who do the same thing. The true legality of the situation is Undetermined. The feds behind the first seizures, uh, seizures of soon-to-be-exported vehicles didn't seem to have a firm grasp on the matter. They clearly felt it was illegal. And this feeling resulted in plenty of seizures. But these agencies don't have any crystal-clear guidance on the matter. The crackdown was driven largely by agents with the Secret Service and the Department of Homeland Security who questioned whether these small export companies were violating federal law by using straw buyers. Remember, these are automobiles. This isn't weapons or anything like that, drugs. These are automobiles. People paid small sums to buy cars to conceal that the vehicles were being bought by people who had no intention of keeping them. Who the hell cares? It's a car for crying out loud. So if I buy a car, I have to keep it? Or it's a federal crime, really? Anyway, and we're using cash from other people to make the acquisitions. So I'm not allowed to go out and buy a car for you? Really? Since when? 
Federal authorities have charged that using straw buyers is a deceptive practice that potentially deprives American consumers of a chance to buy the luxury cars and limits the ability of automakers to keep tight control over sales to domestic dealers and to foreign countries. Did you have any idea that luxury automobiles was a matter of national security? Did you? I didn't. Have you ever thought that maybe we've got too many laws? Are you kidding me? We got tens of thousands of little troglodytes roaming across the border in what, four four southern states? And they're doing nothing and they're wasting time arresting people because they want to sell luxury cars to Japanese? (laughs) Oh man, oh man. Hey, come on now. This would be funny, you know, if it wasn't so not funny. All right. Really. I I had no idea. I had no idea. Automobiles are now a matter of national security and uh boy oh boy, now if you buy a car with somebody else's money for them, you're a straw buyer and that's a shady business deal because you're depriving somebody of something somehow. Why? You know, if I see something over there and you want it, and you want me to go buy it for you, you give me the money for it, and there's some money in it for me to go do it, isn't that, yes, as in there, free enterprise? Isn't that free enterprise? Is that is that really, is it dead? Has the federal government killed that? Is that all over with? Man. All right, how about this? Ah, you knew it was coming, right? You saw the movie, didn't you? Minority Report. I might watch that again just as a, you know, as a brush-up course because uh here's a this is a headline. Pennsylvania to become first state to use pre-crime statistics in criminal sentencing. Ooh, what could go wrong with that, huh? Criminal sentencing has long been based on the present crime and sometimes the defendant's past criminal record. In Pennsylvania, judges could soon consider a new dimension. The future. Yeah. Pennsylvania is on the verge of becoming one of the first states in the country to base criminal sentences not only on what crimes people have been convicted of, but also on whether they are deemed, deemed, deemed likely to commit additional crimes. Yeah, as early as next year, judges there could receive statistically derived tools known as risk assessments to help them decide how much prison time 
to a sign. Wow. As technology generally continues to advance, one thing can be sure. The criminal justice system's use of innovative new tools will grow exponentially. This can be a good thing. No, not really. It can also be a very dangerous thing. Pennsylvania's new law that permits the use of data showing whether people are deemed likely to commit additional crimes in criminal sentencing is a perfect example of how over-reliance on technology can be a threat to liberty and due process. Man, I think this has got to be... You know, the minute they the minute they sentence somebody to a longer sentence based on these statistics, somebody somebody's lawyer is going to sue and say this is not constitutional. This is not even conceivable. This is, you know, you you. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, go ahead and argue that this is constitutional. Uh, really? Do you really believe that the founding fathers would have allowed anybody to be sentenced? To prison based on what some statistics say he might do in the future. And where are these statistics coming from? Are they on me? I don't think so. See, what they'll be on, well, what's your race, what's your age, where do you live, what neighborhood do you come from, how much money do you make? Those are the statistics. Wow. That makes about as much sense as, well, your auto insurance is going up because your credit rating went down. Yes, the auto insurance only deals with you wrecking cars and you have a perfect driving record, but yet your rates are going up because your credit score went down. And my credit score has what to do with my car insurance? You may wonder that, right? And you may think that they just went and, you know, shoveled around a bunch of money and uh, got this pass that they can do that, right? Well, they kind of did, but do you know how they got it pushed through? Do you know why the legislatures let them do this to where they say, well, yeah, okay, you can raise insurance rates Based on credit scores. Do you know how? Do you know why? I do. Statistics. That's right. The insurance companies went to the legislatures and says, hey, we've got these statistics that say people with lower credit scores are more likely to wreck their car. So therefore, if your credit score goes down, we got to raise your rates because you've just become more likely to have a wreck. Not because you ever have, but because the, the statistics say that's how it is. Now, forget the fact that they did this during the time when, uh, you know, everybody was going bankrupt and nobody could pay their credit cards and everybody got overextended and the stock market was crashing and all that. Forget that fact that they did that then and said, hey, look, look at this. People are, 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 their credit scores are going down and they're wrecking their car. So therefore, uh, this shows that if your credit score goes down, you're more likely to wreck your car. No, everybody's credit score was going down because everybody was losing their credit 
And yeah, people are wrecking their cars, but they would have wrecked their cars anyway, but it doesn't matter. See, the statistics say. Yeah, so, you know, they're doing this, folks, and they're going to do it because I'm telling you, they did it with the insurance. This is how this is how they got it to be that, you know, because your insurance rates were always based on, okay, look, how many wrecks have you had? How often do you wreck? How much does every wreck you get in cost? And that all makes sense. Then they said, well, we want to do this based on the statistics. And they got it. And they'll get this too. Oh, brave new world, huh? Like somebody in the chat room is saying, buy a rifle. Better buy more than a rifle too, folks. Anyway, I got to go. I'll see you tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Carl Miller is an expert on the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights. He has studied law for over 25 years and has a courtroom win-loss rate of over 90%. He is not an attorney. Carl prefers representing himself in proprietor persona, as he delights in tying federal prosecutors in knots, often winning the praise and respect of the judges at the same time. Carl is a highly decorated hero of the Vietnam War, serving in the elite Apache troop as a paratrooper and crew chief. The famous movie, Apocalypse Now, and the best-selling book, Apache Sunrise, are based on the true-life experiences of this group of brave and patriotic Americans. Carl Miller was inducted into the top-secret project, Blue Book, and he considers it an honor to have served in several operations supporting Lieutenant Colonel James Bo Greitz, including Operation Eagle Snatch. Carl is a veteran of hundreds of dangerous parachute jumps, breaking his legs or ankles six times, shot down four times, personally shot twice. Carl has miraculously escaped death numerous times. Carl credits divine intervention and God's providence for preserving his life unto this day so he may complete the most important mission of his life, that of teaching others the importance of the Constitution of the United States and how to use it, and by using it, thus preserving it. Carl has taught hundreds of people, including housewives and truck drivers, the fine art of arguing the Constitution and winning in court. Carl says it's easy once you know how, and a whole lot of fun, too. Good evening, folks. I want to thank you for inviting me into your home tonight to talk to you about an extremely important issue to you. I I basically uh, uh, am here to talk about the United States Constitution 
and our government and uh, some of the principles that uh, you need to understand most thoroughly so that you can have an effective opportunity to exercise your constitutional rights. The whole purpose of this is that you understand that these these rights come from God, okay, that they are God-inspired. God is the one who, who endowed us with these rights, and that this Constitution merely uh, offers a legitimate program to protect those rights or to secure those rights and the blessings of those rights on ourselves and on our children for all time. It's important that you understand that the Constitution is... Uh, God-inspired. It's important that you understand that a lot of the principles that are in the Constitution actually come out of the Holy Bible, okay? And it's very important that you understand that this Constitution allows each of you each to be a king or queen in your own right, as long as you recognize one principle, that you don't ever create a situation where you take away the rights of another. So the whole point of, of having the Constitution is so that all of us can have the rights equally and, and, and as long as we respect our neighbor and allow them also to have the rights equally, the, the, the protections are, are, are going to last forever. And, and the reality is that we are going to get thoroughly into your Constitution. We want you to find a Constitution wherever you can, and we are going to basically take you step by step through some of the most important parts of this Constitution so that you can better exercise your rights in a timely fashion. Now, the facts are simple. If you don't know your rights, you don't have any rights, and that's just the way it is. And if you certainly couldn't exercise those rights timely if you don't know what they are. So what's going to happen is they're going to tell you what your rights are, and do you think they're going to tell you in your favor? Certainly not. Now, we've come a long way to put this program on to help you. By the way, my name is Carl Miller. I want to thank you again for inviting me into your home. We're going to proceed with vigor. Uh, I should tell you a few things about me, that I'm a, a prior service soldier. I served three combat tours in the Republic of Vietnam. I should tell you that I was a participant in the top secret project called Blue Book, where the officers in the jungle smelled a rat in a woodpile, and they decided to pull their, their top soldiers aside, and they come on over here, let's come on over here, we want to talk to you. And they took their top soldiers in the corner, and they started teaching them things like duty, honor, country, pride in the Corps. They taught us history. They taught us all kind of a, a programming as far as what's going on in our government. They taught us the Constitution. We had to be able to rattle the Constitution off just like we would any manual of arms. And this all took place to totally top secret so that we wouldn't offend any uh, chains of command or any uh, presidential problems similar to what uh, happened between General MacArthur. Yeah, the bottom line is... Uh, this was taken totally uh, upon their own, shall we say, careers to pull this thing off. And uh, they, this happened all throughout a lot of the military services in Vietnam. Uh, Marine Corps, Air Force, Army, we all, they all pulled aside their best people and they started putting everything on and teaching us our Constitution. So I'm going to try and instill in you that flame that was instilled in me over 25 years ago, in which I have, been, I have been transferring ever since. I have been fighting tooth and nail to defend the Constitution. I have helped thousands and thousands and thousands of other people do the same. I teach people how to be their own counsel, to stand up in courts of law, and be able to exercise their constitutional rights in a timely and effective manner. And uh, the good Lord willing, I'll be able to keep doing that. So why don't we, uh, right now, try and get into some parts of the Constitution. The most important thing that I can teach you about this Constitution is the importance of reading it. You must read the Constitution and understand what physically is involved. You must know your rights and timely assert them. That is your burden. If you do not, 
then a legal term called latches incurs is in full force. Latches is a legal term which is defined as an as a latches is a species of action wherein a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity, having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so, loses all right to proceed. So what is actually happening out there, folks, is that latches is incurring because most people don't read their constitution and know what's involved. So then you are left to being told, well, that's what it means. Okay, so you just got to do what you got to do, and you're told, and, and they're going to tell you in favor of them. They're not going to tell you in favor of you. So it's better for you to read the book and understand what's in it. It's not a very big book. I, I highly recommend the book. I, you can get several versions. Uh, a lot of times you contact your congressman. Uh, my congressman, Dominic Vincentini, uh, state senator, supplied this one for me. Uh, John Kuhn, a libertarian candidate, has supplied several also. Uh, some of these folks, uh, just check with your local uh, congressman or state rep. Uh, a lot of times you can they'll just give you one. If you cannot find one, go down to your United States uh, government building here in the Detroit vicinity. We, it's called the McNamara Building on the first floor. And uh, what we do then is we uh, go into the government printing office, and usually they're about a buck. But I highly recommend you go get one. I, I don't leave home without mine. I usually have three or four of them someplace. And I hand them out also myself. I give them out to whoever. I, I think one of the most kindest things I can do to a person is give them this book and show them how it works. This book is kind of like a genie in a bottle. If you know how to stroke this book, I'm telling you, the genie comes out. And it usually, with a force that, that you it will be clearly recognized in any court in the land. Now, that doesn't mean it'll be easy. You might have to work a little bit. But basically, there's an argument. And it comes like this. If I violate your rights, you may or may not know about it. If you know about it, you may or may not be able to do something about it. If you do have an ability to do something about it, you may or may not have the financial wherewithal to, to go to a finished program. If you do have the, the financial wherewithal, you may not have the intestinal fortitude to go to a finished program. So most of the time, your governments and your, your abusive uh, personalities in government or your corporations uh, pretty much have carte blanche to, to injure you. Because in 99.9% .9 of the cases, nobody, most people will not proceed. But every now and then, you run into that one hard nut, and he doesn't quit or she doesn't quit till the cows come home. And what happens is that person will prevail. And those are the people that are actually generating better protections and better constitutional rights for you. Those are the ones that are going to the Supreme Courts and the Courts of Appeals and what have you that are pushing, that are spending their life funds to allow you to have the benefit. But if you aren't there to catch the benefit, then you, you the benefit is lost. So we're going to get right into the Constitution. We're going to teach you some things about it. Pay attention because we're really doing this out of an act of love for you, and we're hoping to God you're going to pick up on it and pay attention. Okay? Now. I'm going to put one constitution down here so the folks can see it. I will open this up from time to time to demonstrate things to you. I will basically try and read out of another constitution so that we can better show you some of the things that are involved. Now, it's important that you understand that this constitution is in writing. It's important that you understand that it is a legal document, okay, that it was ratified by all of the members in a Congress together, right? And that that document can be, you can get all the signatures on the document. Okay? And it's important that you understand that there was an offer, government offered to govern. 
there was a consideration. The citizens considered how they were going to be governed, and government promised that they would govern by constitution. And there was an agreement. The citizens agreed that if government promised there would be a government by constitution, that they would agree to allow the constitution into force. Now, there's a unique situation here. It's very rare when you find the party of the first part, which is the congressmen, officers of the government, who are also parties of the second part, as representatives of we the people, the republic. And when they signed the document, they signed the document as officers of government, agreeing to the Constitution, and simultaneously as officers of representatives of the people in the republican form of government. And when they signed that document, that constituted a ironclad, contract in writing enforceable in a court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds here in the state of michigan that's 566.132 michigan compile laws act which basically states anything in writing is enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds now all we're asking is that they enforce the contract we want them to enforce the contract in other words if we read something in here and we got a good reason for why we believe it's the way it is then they should honor that and they should honor it in favor of you, the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary, but I'll get into that a little later. The program that you should understand, especially, is Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution. This is called the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution. It's located at Article 6. Everybody see that? Paragraph 2, which is going to start right here, and I'm going to read it to you. Okay? And basically what it says is this, this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby anything in the Constitution, or laws of any state to the contrary, or notwithstanding. When they say notwithstanding, that means notwithstanding in law. That means that's a legal definition. Notwithstanding means notwithstanding in law. Now, a very important case, Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. Pardon my reaching here. Marbury versus Madison, 5 U.S. 137. It's recorded at volume 5. Right here, it's an 1803 case, Marbury versus Madison. It's recorded in volume five, page 137. Now basically what this case states, and, and I'm telling you right now, if you want to use a case to cite for any purpose in court, you have to read the case. If you haven't read the case, you haven't read the case and formed a basis upon which a logical determination in your mind could have been reached to form an opinion as to why you should do what you're going to do, then the judge will throw your case out. So read your cases. Don't just quote cases because that won't, you won't win. If the judge ever pins you down and starts asking you some merits of the case and you can't even understand what the case is about, nine times out of ten, he's just going to throw your case in the, in, the, in the can. So make sure you read the case. This is one of the leading cases in the history of the United States of America. The opinion of the court was given by the Honorable Judge John Marshall, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. His opinion was, anything that is in conflict is null and void of law. 
Clearly, he said, that for a secondary law to come in conflict with the supreme law was illogical. For certainly the supreme law would prevail over all other law, and certainly our forefathers had intended that the supreme law would be the basis of all law. And for any law to come in conflict would be null and void of law. It would bear no power to enforce. It would bear no obligation to obey. It would purport to settle as if it never existed, for unconstitutionality would date from the enactment of such a law, not from the date so branded in an open court of law. No courts are bound to uphold it, and no citizens are bound to obey it. It operates as a mere nullity or a fiction of law, which means it doesn't exist in law. Now let me give you an example in today's timing as to how effective this is. This argument is so effective that it literally nullifies the Brady Bill. It nullifies the crime bill that takes away the right of the people to keep and bear arms on these 19 weapons that turn into 159 weapons. It uh, stops this 666 bill that just went through that they're trying to take away the Fourth Amendment. You see, because they have no power to pass a law that's in conflict with the United States Constitution. And it's automatically null and void of law from its inception, not from the date you go to court and brand it as unconstitutional. Now, I want to get that real clear. A lot of people think that they got to go to court and brand it unconstitutional. I'm here to tell you, if you know your arguments and you can show your arguments, most of the time you will win. Every now and then you run into a hard nose, but I'll show you how to deal with him too, okay? But for now, I want everybody that's got a chance to go out to learn your Constitution, your Article 6, Paragraph 2 of your Constitution. I want you to, to pay attention to what's going on here. Learn to read about this Marbury versus Madison case. I want to show you, pardon my reach again, this right here is an example of what is called Shepherd Citations. Shepherd Citations is a group of reporters that go through and keep track of all the court cases that have come before the courts, especially the Supreme Court. And they clarify before the court all of the cases. Each one of these little numbers here represents somebody hiring a lawyer and going to the Supreme Court. Every one of these. There's nine pages of these folks. Almost 200 years worth that goes against this case, Marbury versus Madison. And I want to tell you, this case is still supreme law of the land. If it wasn't, you would see O's in here where it was overturned, okay? You don't see any O's. There aren't any O's. That means the case is standing. There'd be an O in this column right next to here. You don't see any O's because there's no case that could come up against this case. That's how strong this case is, folks. Now, this is nine pages. Each This is two pages each. There's nine pages of this. This represents, if I was to... To, to try and teach you what this represents, if I was building a wall from here to the moon, out of bricks, that's what that would mean in legal terms. Because that's how solid this case is. So it's very important that you understand your Constitution is an ironclad contract in writing enforceable in the court of law. It's very important that you understand Article 6, Paragraph 2, the Supremacy Clause, which says the Constitution and the laws in pursuance thereof and the treaties made or which shall be made under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land. The judges in every state shall be bound thereby. Anything in conflict or repugnancy is null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed, unconstitutionality dates from the enactment, no courts are bound to uphold it, no citizens are bound to obey it. Now that is one of the most important lessons that I can teach you in the Constitution so that you can understand how strong this document is. You see. And when I go to the law library and I hit some of these law libraries, it's wall-to-wall -wall books, folks. I mean, it's like I take people down there and their chin's on the ground. 
And then I tell them, there's three floors of this place just like this, filled to the brim with books and books. And did you know that in every one of those cases, this little book right here, this one right here, folks, controls every single book in that law library, every single one. Every single book in that law library is controlled by this little book. So can you understand how important it is for you to know what's in this little book so that you can effectively call on that kind of a commanding knowledge? Okay? It is absolutely vital that you get a hold of one of these books and start learning it and don't let anybody take away your constitutional rights. You, cannot, you can't even give your constitutional rights away. You have to voluntarily acquiesce by signing a document on a Miranda release form. That's how hard it is to give away your constitutional rights. We don't want you to give away any of your rights. We want you to know these rights backward, forward, upside down, and other. We want you to be able to rattle them off. Our soldiers could do it. And they did it with, with the great love in their heart and the pride and the, and the duty that they hold in their heart. And they swore on a sacred oath that they defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then they perform their duties to the best of their ability, so help them God. And by God, they do, both in the service and out of the service, okay? We defend the Constitution to the death. We never surrender. We are soldiers, above all. And we love our country and our flag and our Constitution. We are what the, the term is under the, the military code of conduct. I am an American fighting soldier. I serve the forces which guard my country and its constitutional way of government. I am prepared to give my life if necessary in defense of that Constitution. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So I want you to pay attention. A lot of brave soldiers have died to pay for this book so that you could have the right. And the least you could do for your own self's sake is to learn what's in this book and be able to argue effectively what's in this book. You would be amazed how many times you can win if you just have this book and know what's in it. Okay? Now, that we get that by, we're going to go into some other arguments here. We're going to try and show you how to really effectively use this book. Okay? Now that everybody's got that in hand. The next thing we're going to start teaching you is things like about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment is one of the biggies that everybody talks about today and the one that gets railroaded probably the most. The next is the Fourth Amendment and the Fifth Amendment, okay? But the Second Amendment is one of the most vital amendments here because our forefathers had such an important understanding of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that was the First Amendment, that they turned around and realized that without the right to protect that first right, they didn't have that right. So the Second Amendment, they, they instituted the right of the people to keep and carry arms and that right shall not be infringed. Now, they started out by saying a well-regulated militia being necessary for the maintenance of a free state. Okay? Isn't that a true statement, folks? A well-regulated militia is necessary for the security of a free state. That's just a true statement. So is oranges are orange. That's why they call them oranges. Okay? But that doesn't have any legal precedence in theory. The most important part about that Second Amendment is it says the right of the people. And the Supreme Court has ruled in hundreds of cases that whenever it says the right of the people, it means the right each of every single citizen to possess the right equally. Now, a lot of guys like to hand out this Manola that, well, that's a collective right. You've got to be a member of the militia. That's all who done. You don't have to be a member of the militia. All you have to do is be an American. You have the right. The right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. Now, you will note after infringed, there is no subparagraph A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which would stipulate as to what would be an acceptable infringement. So all infringement is forbidden. Now, who says so? You say so. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? You say so. Who are you? I'm an American. 
And I'm telling you, you're infringing my rights. You're stealing my rights. I, I, I claim infringement. I claim encroachment. I claim impingement. I claim usurpation. I claim you're stealing my right. Because that's what they're doing. And I ask them, what is it you don't understand about the word infringement? Because that's exactly what it says when you look in Black's Law Dictionary. That's another thing I want to bring up. You want to talk to these people in court. You want to get a hold of one of these books. Right here. It's called Black's Law Dictionary. You would be absolutely amazed what's in Black's Law Dictionary. This is the exact words. <coughs> Just a second, please, folks. This is the exact words that you need to be able to definitively define the word game problem that we are having with these people today. They like to keep changing the words. But guess what? The words in this book are the words that were written when we were in the Constitution when it was signed. And the definitions that are in this book are enforceable in a court of law. You can bring this book into court and pull it open and say, this is the one, Judge, and they gots to listen. And that's the way it is. So for sure, if you're going to be in this, go down to one of your bookstores, uh, whichever you may have in your area, Barnes & Noble or any one of the dozens of decent bookstores, and get a copy of Black's Law Dictionary. You need that to be in this because this is kind of like uh, defining the map of how to get from A to B. You have to have this book to be able to pull it out so that you can turn around and tell them, hey, don't trample my rights. I take a real dim view of that. Another good book you can pick up on the Constitution is this, this American Constitution put out by West Publishing Company. This goes into a whole lot of widened arguments as to your Constitution. Now, after I'm finished talking to you, you're going to have a new concept of Constitution and how it works. You're going to understand that it's what you say it is. If you've got an honest right, now I'll give you a perfect example. Now, the First Amendment basically talks about the right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, right? But isn't the right to work part of right of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? You've got a right to work, right? Contract your labor, your skill, and your time of life as you see fit, right? Does that make sense to you? That's a First Amendment right. Another First Amendment right would be the right to travel freely unencumbered. See, no state can require you to have a license to travel freely unencumbered, and we'll go into that and show you how that is, is taken care of, okay? The bottom line is you need to learn as much as you absolutely possibly can in the shortest possible time about your Constitution, because I'm telling you right now as we speak, they are trying to curtail that Constitution and take away rights that you have that have been given to you from your forefathers. There's only one thing that's going to stop that. Well, maybe two. There's two things. The first thing that's going to stop that, if all of us get together, get a hold of one of these books and start shaking it and say, whoa, R.C., we're not letting you take away that Constitution. This is America. we got an American flag on a pole out front. Last time I checked, this is the United States of America. we got a Constitution here, and you ain't touching that Constitution. So you call up that Bill McCollum in Washington and you tell him he's the guy that sponsored that 666 bill to take away the Fourth Amendment right to, uh, to have a search warrant. You get a hold of him and I'll give you his number later on in the speech here. And you call that joker up and you say, sir, what is it you don't understand about your oath of office? We'd kind of like you to leave the Constitution alone. As a matter of fact, we'd like you to make it stronger than it is, not take nothing away from it, <clears throat> period. And we resent the hell out of you taking an oath of office to protect the Constitution and we put you in office, and the first thing you do when you get in there is try and scuttle the Constitution and flush it down the toilet. We're not going to put up with that stuff. We want you to understand that real clearly. 
The second way we can do it is if necessary and proper, our militias can come together and decide to tell these people that are giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country by breaking down our laws that you have broken the law of Title 18, United States Code, Section 2381, which says that in the presence of two witnesses to the same overt act or in an open court of law, if you fail to timely move to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States and honor your oath of office, you are subject to the charge of capital felony treason, and upon conviction you will be taken by the posse to the nearest and busiest intersection and at high noon hung by the neck until dead. The body to remain in state until dusk as an example to anyone who take their oath of office lightly. You see, without that oath of office, this Constitution is worthless. That's why we have you take that oath of office, so that we know you will honor this oath of office and that you will keep our Constitution. We don't want anybody taking our Constitution away. And we're here to tell you right now, don't do it. We'll take a dim view of it. We probably will charge you. And we're not fooling around. Okay? Now, let's get into some other things in the Constitution. The bottom line here is you have to know to be able to exercise your Constitution. The most important parts about your Constitution are in your first ten amendments, okay? Obviously, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. And that right shall not be infringed. You must claim your right if you want to have it. You have to be willing to do that. And if they are going to take your right, then you have to be willing to challenge them, whatever it costs. Now. The bottom line is any law that comes in conflict with that, what do we talk about in Article 6, Paragraph 2? If any law shall come in conflict with this, the supreme law, what happens? It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce, no obligation to obey, purports to settle as if it never existed, unconstitutionality dates from the enactment of such a law, not from any date so branded in open court of law. So what happened to the Brady Bill, folks? Canceled due to lack of interest. Okay? What happened to the crime bill with the gun infringements? If any portion of the bill be unconstitutional, the whole bill is unconstitutional. Because why? Repugnancy. Okay? It's repugnant to the United States Constitution. It's null and void of law. It bears no power to enforce. No obligation to obey. It reports to settle as it never existed. Which case said so? Marbury versus Madison. 5 U.S. 137, 1803. That's how important that case is. That's why you got to go down to your law library and read. Okay? So Marbury versus Madison is extremely important. It's important that you be able to read the case, understand what they're talking about. Now, other cases that are involved are your rights to due process, like under your Fourth and Fifth and Sixth Amendments, right? The right of the people to be secure in their houses. The right of the people to be secure in their person, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the person or things to be seized. And obviously that would imply, that would imply, that would imply that he'd gone before a judge and said, this is the guy, he did it, this is the crime that was done, and this is the evidence we're looking for, Judge, and we'd like to get a warrant, and we're swearing on everything we told you is the God's truth, and then they can come over and they can search till the hell freezes over. Okay? Does that sound logical to you? No, that's what Bill 666 is trying to throw out. They don't want you to have that right anymore. Now it's important for you to immediately jump to the Ninth Amendment. What does the Ninth Amendment say? Enumeration in this Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Now basically what that means in simplest of terms, Congress has no authority to add on to the Constitution in such a way that would take away rights previously guaranteed. What seems to be Mr. McCollum's problem? Does he not read the King's English? 
simply spoken, he has no authority to pass this 666 bill. The Congress had no authority to pass this Brady bill. They had no authority to pass this crime bill because it clearly infringed on the United States Constitution. I don't care how noble the issue it was. I don't care how learned the people claimed to be. They weren't learned enough. Because if they were learned, they would have understood the Ninth Amendment forbids adding on to the Constitution by any laws whatsoever that takes away rights that are previously guaranteed. Excuse me. Now, let's go on. Let's hit the Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated to the United States. What, is there, what are they talking about here? The powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectfully or to the people. See, this is a limited contract. This contract is designed to limit government. And when you get into your police powers, you start understanding your police powers. Almost you'll hear this all the time. Well, we have police powers, broad and sweeping police powers. You look up Black's Law Dictionary of Police Powers. It says, the law of eminent domain of a state or political subdivision to enact laws for the common good and welfare and to curb crime. And in great big black letters, it says, within constitutional limitations, see the Tenth Amendment. Well, when they're talking about see the Tenth Amendment, this is the Tenth Amendment they're talking about. Now, do they have powers to take away previous rights guaranteed under the Constitution? The answer is obviously no, they don't. Obviously, the Ninth Amendment sets a clear limit on that. What is it these guys don't understand about their Constitution? They pass these Brady bills, they pass these crime bills, they pass these 666 bills to take away your Fourth Amendment right, requiring a search warrant. What is it that they don't understand about the locks on the Constitution? Now, do you see how wise our forefathers were? They knew. They knew history. And they knew that history repeats itself if people forget. So what they did is they set a standard, very importantly, toward the end of the contract, they clearly stipulated exactly what limits would be there, you see. And it clearly stipulated that no power has existed to take away rights that were previously guaranteed. So how, therefore, is this being done? I'll tell you how it's being done. Cosay wants to. And they're not doing it by law. Now, why are they getting away with it? Because most of the people don't know any better. And if you don't know your rights and you don't timely assert them, latches and curse. Latches being a species of action where in a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so loses our right to proceed. So by you acquiescing, by not jumping up and saying, hey, hold the line, Chester. You ain't touching that Fourth Amendment. You aren't touching that Second Amendment. We're not putting up with that stuff. You took an oath of office, we're going to hold you to it. You violate that oath of office, we're going to charge you with capital felony treason under Title 18 United States Code Section 2381. What difference does it make if they're in open rebellion against the United States or if they're breaking down the laws creating a rebellion? Isn't that giving aid and comfort to the enemies of our country? It most certainly is. And it's called sedition. Treason by sedition. Okay? Now we got to start collaring these guys and telling them, hey... What is it you don't understand about the Constitution and your oath of office? We're going to clearly correct that in the short interim. And if you don't want to fix it, we will remove you. And that's our duty and our responsibility. Now, when Benjamin Franklin walked out of all of the hearings to set up this Constitution, a lady reporter walked up to him and asked him, well, What is it we have now? And he turned to her and told her, 
We have a republic if we can keep it. Obviously, the burden is on us to make sure we keep it. So I'm asking you to get a hold of one of these constitutions and let's plan on keeping it. All right, now let's get into some more of the arguments on the Constitution. Your Fifth Amendment. Let's pull up your Fifth Amendment. No person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on the presentment or indictment of a grand jury except in cases arising in the land or naval forces or in the militia when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject to the same offense be twice put in jeopardy, that's the double jeopardy statute, of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any crime, criminal case, to be a witness against himself, that's a self-incrimination defense, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, that's your equal protection clause. You have an equal right to all of, the, all of your rights under the law, and you have a right to due process of law. As a matter of fact, if they don't give you due process of law, Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, is clear and specific, and it says if they deny you due process of the law, all jurisdiction ceases automatically. That's, that's Title V, United States Code, Section 556D, also 557, and Section 706 of that code. In other words, if they deny you due process at any time, and you can prove it, you can, you can force a showdown, and you can turn around and say, well, they might have had jurisdiction at one time, Judge, but they lost it when they denied me due process. All right? Now, the other parts are you cannot deny them life, liberty, property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. You know, how many times do you hear about that today? I mean, it's incredible. The Sixth Amendment is another important one. All of them are important, but there are more important ones, all right? In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law, and to be informed of the nature and the cause of the action and accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him. That's the right to confront your accusers. To have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in your favor. That's the subpoena rights. And to have the assistance of counsel for your defense, or you can stand as your own counsel. And I know they tell you that it's a fool that stands as his own counsel, but it's my argument that it's a fool that doesn't. Because I'll tell you why. You know your case better than you, better than anybody. How many times do you hear about gripes between attorneys and the citizens? The biggest gripe they have is, well, he never said nothing about that, or she never said nothing about that. Well, she didn't do this, or she didn't do that. Well, why? Because they don't know the case as good as you do. You're the one that knows your best case. The only thing they know is how to apply the law. So all I'm telling you is learn how to apply the law and your constitutional rights, and then you don't need to do that. The only time you get into trouble is if you run your mouth too much and you get into self-incrimination. So obviously you have to keep your wits about you and watch your mouth. But the bottom line is, actually, I personally believe you're the best person to present the facts of your case because you're the best person that knows all the facts. The only thing you know how to do is how to actually do it in a legal and lawful manner that is recognized by the legal community, and that's really not hard to learn. I can teach you, believe me. All right, the Seventh Amendment. In suits of the common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved. It's supposed to say shall remain. And no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States, because the jury is the ultimate trier of fact. Then according to the rules of the common law. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll get into that common law argument. There's a lot of heavy arguments around that common law. Basically, I don't want to overwhelm you on the first time out of the chute. <clears throat> because that's not hard to do, okay? 
Now the bottom line of this Constitution is it's all in writing. It clearly represents a contract. I'm asking you to learn your contract. I'm asking you to learn the book. Learn your contract. I mean, when you go to some place to do some work on your car, you read the document that comes with it for the warranty, don't you? Why? Because just in case something goes wrong, you want to be able to bring it back, right? Well, I'm asking you to read the warranty on your Constitution so that you can understand the rights that you have under that Constitution so that if you don't get it right, we can bring it back. Does that make sense to you? All right. Now, it's also important that you understand that this Constitution is a very unique document and that this Constitution is supposed to be enforced, and I'm going to teach you some things here right now. This is a program. I don't know how it's coming out here. This right here is representation. I know it's kind of hard to see here, but basically what we're talking about here is this comes from the books that tell the judge how, right here and over here, this comes and tells the judge how the Constitution is to be interpreted. This is from the Amjurisprudence volumes, and this is volume 16. You want the Constitutional Law section, right here, Constitutional Law, and you want Section 97. And when you start reading it, the most important part about it, and I'll read it, is that a Constitution should, relieve, should receive a liberal interpretation in favor of the citizen is especially true with respect to those provisions which were designed to safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. Can you see that? Can you all see that? That coming out right here. Over more. Okay. All right. To safeguard the liberty and security of the citizen in regard to both person and property. See note 31. Brides first United States, 273 U.S. 28, and all of these 40 Supreme Court cases hold that axiom. In other words, it's supposed to be liberally enforced in favor of the citizen for the protection of rights and property. And a constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. 32. But on 32, DeJammer versus Hospital Authority of Albany in all of these cases. Okay. You see that? All right. Help me out here. Okay. Is it in? All right. I'm just trying to tell you. You can go look this up, and you can better see it. Can you see it clearly now? Okay. All right. Now, let's do that over again. And a constitutional provision intended to confer a benefit should be liberally construed in favor of the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary. Similarly, a provision intended... Similarly, a provision intended... to afford a remedy to those who have... Just Beneficial construction for the purpose of extending the within the meaning of the terms, and that's Ryder versus of Ohio. That's note number 33. Okay. Now this comes out of 16th Am jurisprudence. In other words, I have this Constitution. This Constitution is a contract in writing enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds. I'm asking for specific performance, Your Honor, in favor of me. I am the beneficiary of the contract. There's also a basic premise in contract law, basic contract law 101 of any first-year law student that says, the contract shall be enforced most favorably in favor of the non-preparer. And that's you. You didn't prepare it. 
Now, if you believe, honestly, that you have a right, and you can timely bring that right before a proper adjudicated authority, and you can clearly stipulate as to what your right was, guess what? They got to listen. That's the way it is. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I'm telling you, if you know your rights and you timely assert those rights, you have those rights. But if you sit on your haunches and you cry foul, <clears throat> that's terrible. Somebody ought to do something about that. Hey, be a somebody. Do something about it. Don't sit there telling me that somebody ought to do something about that. Be a somebody. You do something about it. You honestly got an honest bitch, you go out there and you take care of it. Because that's what it takes to be an American. That's what, all, that's what it's all about. That's what being an American is all about. That's what separates you from the rest of the whole world. Because Americans, you don't trample on their rights because they're going to come get you. You do not trample on their rights. They won't put up with it. So be an American and don't put up with it. Stand up there and be counted. Now, I want to read the next argument there, which is argument number 98, which basically deals with the effect of an emergency. Argument 98. Does everybody see that there? Get it there? Pretty good. All right. Argument 98. While an emergency cannot create power and no emergency justifies the violation of any of the provisions of the United States Constitution or state constitutions, public emergencies such as economic depression, all right, Go over here to the next page. What happened here? All right. All right, let's go. For especially liberal construction of constitutional powers, and it has been declared that because of national ex exigency, it is the policy of the courts in times of national peril so liberally to construe the special powers vested in the chief executive as to sustain and effectuate the purpose thereof and to that end also more liberally to construe the constituted division and classification of the powers of the coordinate branches of the government, and insofar as may not be clearly inconsistent with the Constitution, right? In other words, they can't be in conflict with the Constitution to vest extraordinary powers in the chief executive. But I'm telling you, on the other hand, a contention that a grave emergency, such as the Depression, should permit construction of the constitutional provisions which would meet the emergency, was rejected. In one case, the court holding that neither the legislature nor any executive or judicial officer may disregard the provisions of the Constitution in cases of an emergency, where the plain and unequivocal terms of the Constitution present to question of construction as to departures in emergencies. So not even an emergency justifies the taking away of constitutional provisions. And I know you've heard differently. I know you think, well, they got an emergency. They just declare an emergency, and then they, the president issues an executive order. But let me ask you, if it's a repugnant to the Constitution of the United States, is it the law? No. Who says so? We do. We're the people. It's our country. It's our Constitution. We're the ones that say you can't do that. And we mean it. You better listen. All right, now, let's get into the next argument here. Now, I'm, I hope I'm not boring you to tears here, but it's kind of important that we cover these basic things so that you can understand. As to the construction ref with reference to the common law, an important canon of construction is that, that constitutions must be construed with reference to the common law. That means the law of the little people out there, not the corporations. Okay? Since it, in most respects the federal and state constitutions did not repudiate but cherished the established common law, this fact has been taken into consideration by the courts in construing certain clauses in a state constitution, such as the provision securing the right to a jury trial. Also provisions in regard to crimes have been interpreted with reference to the common law rule that one, 
that one charged with a crime may be convicted of a lesser offense necessarily included in the crime charged. In such cases, the courts of the state always regard the language in the common law sense. So the common law prevails. Don't let anybody tell you this admiralty law prevails because it only prevails if you get sucked into it. We're not going to let you do that. We're going to teach you how to beat it. The common law also permitted destruction of the abatement of nuisances by summary proceedings. Traffic tickets, folks. That's what a traffic ticket does. It is a writ of assistance, a bill of attainder. It's unlawful in the United States of America. And it was never supposed that a constitutional provision was intended to interfere with this established principle. And although there is no common law of the United States in the sense, who said so? Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. Okay. All right. Of a national customary law, as distinguished from the common law of England, adopted in the several states. In interpreting the federal constitution, recourse may still be had to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to this common law, the language of the federal constitution could not be understood. So the common law applies, folks. And we're going to get into that common law heavily in the advanced section, all right? Okay. Now let's get back into this. In interpreting the federal constitution adopted by the several states, all right, the recourse may still be had to the aid of the common law of England. It has been said that without reference to the common law, the language of the United States Constitution would not be understood. This is due to the fact that this instrument and the plan of government of the United States were founded on the common law as established in England at the time of the revolution, okay? Therefore, it is the general rule that the phrases in the Bill of Rights taken from the common law must be construed in reference to the latter. Specifically, the United States Supreme Court has taken the common law into consideration in construing the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment provisions relating, all right? So the common law is extremely important that we get it, and we will cover that thoroughly. It's important to understand that most of you out there are citizens at the common law. That only only those that understand the differences in admiralty and maritime law, those that are corporations, officers of corporations, those are officers of government residing in the District of Columbia, the 14th Amendment duality of citizenship, which is talked about in the case of Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, which is a rather heavy argument. And I will cover that thoroughly with you so that you understand where the traps and the differences are. But for right now, I'm trying to demonstrate to you construction and programming so that you can understand that this Constitution right here is the supreme law of the land. It is a contract in writing. It is enforceable in favor of you. In an open court of law, you are the beneficiary. Okay? I want to give you some basic more points on this AM jurisprudence argument. This is section 114 of the 16th volume of AM jurisprudence second. I'm going to give you a couple more of these sites so that you can understand how powerful a document this is. Okay? Let's go to the next section, which is 115, which is, or, uh, let's see, which one? 117. 117 is the next serious section. They're all serious. By the way, I highly recommend you go down to the law library. Grab that 16th volume, Am Jurisprudence. Start at section 1 and start paging through to section 300. You will absolutely be astounded. We are now in 16th Am Jurisprudence, second, section 117. And I will read it to you. Basically, various facts and circumstances extrinsic to the Constitution are often resorted to by the courts to aid them in determining its meaning. 
As previously noted, however, such extrinsic aids may not be resorted to where the provision in the question is clear and unambiguous. In such a case, the courts must apply the terms of the Constitution as written, and they are not at liberty to search for meanings beyond the instrument, which that militia argument and that collective law theory of the Second Amendment is. They're reaching. They're reaching far. All right? Clearly it says in the plain English, the right of the people to keep and carry arms shall not be infringed. Now, what is it you don't understand about the word infringed? They're infringing. The Brady Bill, it's infringement. 1968 Gun Control Act, it's infringing. All of these, uh, the CCW acts of these states, they're infringing. Who says so? You do. How shall a document be enforced in favor of who? You. When are you going to enforce it? You're the one that is the, the citizen. All power is inherent in the people. You're the one with the power. Enforce your power. All right? Does everybody understand that argument? That's the magnificence. I'm bringing the genie out. We're stroking the bottle here. And I'm going to bring the genie out here in a second. You're going to understand the magnificence of the power of this book. You see, once you understand this is an ironclad contract, once you understand that this is enforceable in the court of law pursuant to the statute of frauds, once you understand you have a right to claim specific performance on the contract, your Honor, I'm demanding my right to keep and carry arms, and that right shall not be infringed. I want specific performance. I am the holder of the contract. It's supposed to be enforced in favor of me. I am the clearly intended and expressly designated beneficiary of the citizen. I want the thing protected in, in favor of my right. Does that make logical sense to you? Now do you start to understand the power of this document? Okay? See, before, you just thought it was a bunch of writing in some, uh, in some uh, textbook that you had to take when you took a civics class in high school in the 11th grade. See, I want you to understand that you don't leave home without this. This is more important than your credit card. Okay? Next, let's get into the next section. I'm going to cover some more of these AM jurisprudence sections so that you can understand. I want to get into uh, section 155. 16th AM jurisprudence, second section 155. Since the Constitution is intended for the observance of the judiciary as well as other departments of government, and the judges are sworn to to support its provisions, got me, sworn, as an old law of a sworn, the courts are not at liberty to overlook or disregard its commands or countenance evasions thereof. It is their duty in authorized proceedings to give full effect to the existing Constitution and to obey all constitutional provisions irrespective of their opinion as to the wisdom or the desirability of such provisions and irrespective of the consequences. Thus it is said that the courts should be in our alert to enforce the provisions of the United States Constitution and guard against their infringement by legislative fiat or otherwise. In accordance with these basic principles, the rule is fixed that the duty in the proper case to declare a law unconstitutional cannot be declined and must be performed in accordance with the deliberate judgment of the tribunal before which the validity of the enactment is directly drawn into question. If the Constitution prescribes one rule and the statute another and a different rule, it is the duty of the courts to declare that the Constitution and not the statute governs in cases before them for judgment. Does everybody understand that? He's, they're telling the judge. 
you got a rule in favor of the Constitution. And if you know your Constitution, whose favor are they going to rule in? Yours. But you have to have enough hair on your tail feather to walk in there and say, hey, I'm an American. And I have a constitutional right. That right shall not be infringed. And you're infringing. And I'm asking you not to do that because it's not nice. And I'm asking the judge to do his duty under his sworn oath of office and uphold the United States Constitution as he swore he would under Article 11, Paragraph 1 in this state, which says that he shall swear to protect and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic, and he will perform his duties to the best of his ability, so help him God. Now, let's get closer to so help him God. Now, let's get into another one of these. we got a load of them, folks, so let's bear with me here. 16th Am Jurisprudence, 2nd Section 177. Declaratory judgments. Declaratory judgment actions have often been utilized to test the constitutionality of a statute and government practices. The Uniform Declaratory Judgments Act makes specific provisions of the determination of construction or validity of statutes and municipal ordinance by declaratory judgment and is considered to furnish a particularly appropriate method for the determination of controversies relative to the construction and validity of the statutes and of ordinances. The Federal Declaratory Judgment Act, although it does not mention declarations as to the construction or validity of the statutes, has been invoked frequently as a means of assaying the constitutionality of congressional legislation. A plaintiff can have a declaratory judgment action on the constitutionality of either the federal or state statute by a single federal judge so long as he does not ask to have the operation of the statute enjoined. You can't enjoin a constitutional right. A court may grant declaratory relief unless there is a case of controversy before the court. That is, the dispute must consist of specific adverse claims based upon present rather than future or speculative facts on which to base the adjudication. All right? Now, I'm trying to tell you folks here, you have a right to demand a declaratory judgment, which we are going to do several of our cases here and they got to declare is it constitutional or isn't it constitutional if it's constitutional it has to be judged in favor of who? you the citizen, why? because you're the, the beneficiary, it's supposed to be enforced in favor of you, the beneficiary the citizen for the protection of rights and privacy Briars First United States, 273 U.S. 28 and the 40 Supreme Court cases that support that mandate okay now let's get, there's just a couple more here. Bear with me. I know you're probably bored to tears right now, but I don't want you to do that. I want you to pay attention. Okay, we're at Section 255. 16th Amateur Jurisprudence, Section 255. In all instances where the court exercises its power to invalidate legislation on constitutional grounds, the conflict of the statute with the Constitution must be irreconcilable. The Brady Bill irreconcilable. Huh? In other words, the court is without authority to declare a statute unconstitutional unless it is in positive or direct conflict with the statute or with the Constitution. Thus, a statute is not to be declared unconstitutional unless so inconsistent with the Constitution they cannot be enforced without a violation thereof. Because that would be violating the Constitution. We can't have that. What happened in Marbury versus Madison? 5 U.S. 137. Same thing. A clear incompatibility between law and the Constitution must exist before the judiciary is justified in holding the law unconstitutional. This principle of, is, of course, in line with the rule that doubts as to constitutionality should be resolved in favor of the constitutionality. 
and the beneficiary, you, the citizen for the protection of your rights and property. Okay? Does everybody pick up on that? Now, let's let's shift to 256. 256, right here. The general rule is that an unconstitutional statute, whether federal or state, though having the form and name of law, is in reality no law, but is wholly void and ineffective for any purpose, since unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it. Wouldn't it be interesting if 34, 34, where's 34? There's 33, where's 34? Here's 34. There's 35, all right, here's 34. State X Rel versus Nguyen V. Greer. But I'll tell you what, Marbury versus Madison comes higher than that, okay? All right, 34, let's cover that again. And ineffective for any purpose. Since the unconstitutionality dates from the time of the enactment and not merely from the date of the decision so branding it, an unconstitutional law in legal contemplation is as inoperative as if it never had been passed. The Brady Bill, the Crime Bill, the 1968 Gun Control Bill, all these bills. Such a statute leaves the question that it purports to settle just as it would be had the statute not ever been enacted. Go on. No repeal. No repeal of an enactment is necessary. Since an unconstitutional law is void, the general principles follows that it imposes no duties, confers no rights, creates no office, bestows no power or authority on anyone, affords no protection, and justifies no acts performed under it. A contract. Did everybody pick up on that keyword? Contract. A contract which rests on an unconstitutional statute creates. No obligation to be impaired by subsequent legislation. No one is bound to obey an unconstitutional law, and no courts are bound to enforce it. Persons convicted and fined under a statute subsequently held unconstitutional may recover the fines paid. A void act cannot be legally inconsistent with a valid one, and an unconstitutional law cannot operate to supersede an existing valid law. Indeed, insofar as a statute runs counter to the fundamental law of the land, the Constitution, it is superseded thereby. Since an unconstitutional statute cannot repeal or in any way affect an existing one, if a repealing statute is unconstitutional, the statute which it attempts to repeal remains in full force and effect. And where a... Well, what did I say there? Remains in full force and effect. Is the Second Amendment in full force and effect? You better believe it. Okay? Now, what is it they don't understand about infringe? Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, Frequency 11836 Vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, folks, the militia is organized because they have been concerned about our Constitution getting dumped in the, in the, in the can. Also, we want to show them this. These concurrent resolutions here expressing the sense of the Congress regarding the need for the President to seek the Senator's advice and consent to ratification of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. Okay. 
United Nations consent on the rights of the child. Okay? John Conyers is in on this. He's one of our guys, too. Okay? Now, the bottom line is they're setting standards, all right? And on these standards, whereas it is estimated that every night in the United States at least 100,000 children go to sleep homeless, whereas, I mean, they make all these allegations, wherein the United States has the world's largest gross national product, yet American children rank below the top 15 nations in regard to the health and well-being, whereas in 1989, infant mortality rate for the United States ranked 19th in the world, being Singapore or Spain. I mean, they make all these allegations about the United States and the national... Commission on Children has declared that every child in America needs an excellent education, yet approximately 40% of the nation's children are at risk of school failure. I mean, they go on and on. Whereas the United States, 2,600,000 children were reported to be abused and or neglected in 91. I mean, this is ridiculous. Whereas it's estimated that 1,800,000 teenagers were victims of violent crime. Whereas the Supreme Court has never fully articulated the range of rights to be accorded to children under the United States Constitution or fully articulated the manner in the Constitution is applicable to minors. It is. Whereas the positive futures of our families, communities, and nations are dependent. Now, they, you keep reading all these whereases. Whereas 29 others nations have signed convention indicating their intention to ratify the convention in the future. Then you get down. Whereas it is essential that the United States sign and ratify the Convention on Rights of the Child and begin implement of convention legal standards in order to improve and protect the lives of children. Believe me, they're not trying to protect the lives of children. They're trying to create a new federal bureaucracy. Whereas at the World Summit of Children in September such and such to sign the World Declaration of Survival, Protection, and Development of Children, which would include commitment to work and promote earliest possible ratification implementation under the United Nations and Conventions of the Right of the Child, whereas the House of Representatives passed a resolution during the 101st Congress urging the President to seek consent of the Senate to ratification of the Convention of the Rights of the Child. But such action having not occurred, it is necessary that the Congress implore the President to take action on the Convention now. And now they want to push it. All right? Now, you got to understand, folks, they're not doing this for the children, believe me. They're doing it because they want to create some new kind of problem. Children tomorrow, I apologize to you on behalf of those in my time for the things we didn't do. We didn't stop the tyrants so your fate could be prevented. We watched them steal our freedom, but our silence we consented. We didn't choose to circumvent the doom you've not escaped, while the Bill of Rights was murdered and the Constitution raped. Some of us were lazy and too busy, others too afraid, to think about our children, the ones we have betrayed. We say we were too busy to be concerned or care, to try to ease the burden of the chains we've made you wear. A debt of 17 trillion, more money than exists, because we fail to heed God's call of usury resists. We could have been good shepherds when the wolf got in the fold, yet watch the flame of freedom die, which leaves you in the cold. We changed our great republic, which was forged in blood for liberty, to a socialist welfare state, which we call democracy. I'm sorry we were so timid, betrayed by a selfish generation. We left yet a remnant of a free and prosperous nation. I'm sorry for our action like sheep we have behaved. We could have left you freedom. Instead, you are enslaved. Children of tomorrow, descendants of our land, I'm sorry we allowed this fate. You now must understand. Children of tomorrow, educate yourself if by reading the Bible of the Bible to break the chains we left you with maintain. God's Ten Commandments use reason, logic, and common sense. Suffer the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Dennis Byron.
This come off of the Amateur Radio Freeman's Bulletin Board, August, September 1992, end of transmission. So I think you can see here, at one time they pretend to do all this, and yet <laughs> on the other they do all that. So I thought this was very poignant uh, thing to put out on the air and try and hammer across, okay? Now we want to cover some other things, so we want to cover the Brentwoods Agreement Act. Yeah. We're trying to hustle up here. What do we got down there? Let's see. Anglo series. That's the treason statutes, the 22 U.S.C. We want to go for Terry Railroad versus Tompkins. That's the last thing I want to cover. United States. We got Marshall versus Kansas. We got uh, constitutional arguments. We got civil rights. We want to share so many arguments. Oh, yeah, we want to cover the 1 207. Remember, I told people about the 1 207? We want to cover about the 1-207. Remember I told you sign your name, 1-207, UCC, 1-207, without prejudice. This is it right here, folks. This is uh, the 1-207, Uniform Commercial Code. Can you get that? Okay. Got it? All right. This section provides machinery for the continuation of performance along the lines contemplated by the contract. What contract? The bankruptcy contract. Despite, that's in 1933, the pending, pending dispute by adopting the mercantile device of going ahead with delivery acceptable acceptance or payment without prejudice, under the protest, under reserve, with reservation of all our rights and the like. All of, those, all of these phrases completely reserve all rights within the meaning of this section. This section, therefore, contemplates that limited as well as general reservations and acceptance by a party may be made subject to satisfaction of our purchaser, subject to acceptance by our customer, or the like. This section does not add any new requirement of language of reservation where not already required by law, but merely provides a specific measure on which a party can rely as he makes or concurs in any interim adjustment in the course of performance. When they say performance, they're talking about contractual performance. It does not affect or impair the provisions of this act, such as those under which the buyers... Right? Remedies for defect survive acceptance without being expressly claimed. If notice of the defect is given within a reasonable time, nor does it disturb the policy of those cases which restrict the effect of a waiver of a defect to reasonable limits under the circumstances, even though no such reservation is expressed. Now, this is all what they're talking about when you write down without prejudice. They're telling you you have a right to reserve your right. So I'm telling you to use it. Don't screw around. Sufficiency of the reservation. Any expression. You see that? Any expression indicating an intention to preserve rights is sufficient 
such as without prejudice, under protest, under reservation, with reservation of all our rights, under duress is another one. The code states an explicit reservation must be made. Explicit. Undoubtedly is used in place of express to indicate that the reservation must not only be expressed, but it must also be clear under duress that such a reservation was intended in advance, right? The term explicit as used in UCC 1-207 means that which is so clearly stated or distinctly set forth that there is no doubt as to its meaning. Okay? Now that is the reservation I want you to claim. I want you to screw around. I want you to use your head for something other than a hat rack. Because I'm telling you, you just do it. Too. You just do it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah, you don't tell them nothing. You sign it and you walk out. When they ask you what that is, just say that's something I put down on my signature every time so I know it's me. You didn't learn all this stuff overnight, and you're not going to give somebody these classes overnight. Believe me. If you think you're going to teach somebody this stuff all night, you're dreaming. It takes a long time of serious study to get to the level of where you're at. And you're not going to deliver that to anybody overnight. So my sincere advice is don't try and do it because it ain't going to happen in your lifetime. Just sign it, do what you're supposed to do. If people want to listen, then you let them listen. If they don't want to listen, then you say, oh, well, I knew that. Okay? Now, let's go on here because i got a bunch of stuff to cover and we're running out of time. All right, what do we got here? Alright, we want to cover the militia. There's a lot of people you're hearing talking about the militia. I want to get the Brenton Woods Agreement Act, too. If we can. Let me see here. I know we have it. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> this is the hard part, keeping track of everything. Okay. Alright, we will find it. I promise you that. Alright, what we want to do... We want to show off some of these things. Under executive order of the president, all persons required to deliver on or before May 1st, 1933. Try and blow that up. That's a good one. That's all your gold and silver. I want to make sure we get into all kind of arguments here real quick. Like. Should we have some gold and silver? My law? Should we have some? Yes, like yes. I think you should set aside some serious money to put in. I think people shouldn't have everything in gold and silver. No, though. I think you should have... I think you should buy toilet paper, and I think you should buy food, and I think you should buy cough medicine, and I think you should buy laundry soap, and I think you should buy, you know, have some stuff around like you would keep your normal business and put a little bit in gold and silver. I think you should have a pump shotgun in your closet to defend your house. Something, yeah, something to defend your house. Not that you may need it, but if you do, you got it. I think you ought to seriously consider. All right, we got the militia here. That's one of the next biggies we want to talk about. A militia. All right, let's do that. I'll bring that Brentwood's Agreement Act in yet. But that's also serious. Oh, here we go. Here we go. That is good. Here we go. Now, here we go, folks. This is the Brentwood's Agreement Act, and this is the Agreement Act that, that created this problem with this Title 22, United States Code Section 286. Okay. This is heavy duty, folks. So uh, remember, I showed you about treason. Okay. No person shall be entitled to receive any salary or other compensation from the United States for services as a government executive director, counselor, alternate, or, or associate, right? 
Congress by law authorizes such action. Neither the President nor any person or agency shall, on behalf of the United States, request or consent to any change in the quota of the United States under Article 3, Section 2. The Articles of Agreement of the Fund. The Fund. The International Monetary Fund. All right, let's pull it up here. All right, they're talking about dollar under paragraph 6. Okay, that's not what I want. I want... Let's see, make any loan to the fund or bank. Approve the establishment of any additional trust fund for the special benefit of the single member or of a particular segment of membership of the fund. Now, all right, let's see. In order to carry out the purposes of the decisions of January 1962 of the executive directors of the International Monetary Fund, the Secretary of the Treasury is authorized to make loans not to exceed two, looks like billion, yep, outstanding at any one time to the fund. If it sounds like I'm hammering on that fund, that's because I am. Under Article 7, Section 1, subparagraph I of the Articles of Agreement of the Fund, I mean, they set this thing up. The Secretary of the Treasury, with the approval of the President, directly or through such agencies as he may designate as authorized for the account of the fund established in this section to deal in gold and foreign exchange and such other instruments of credit and or securities as he may deem necessary to the consistent constituent, no, consistent, and consistent with the United States obligations in the International Monetary Fund. The Secretary of the Treasury shall annually make a report on the operation of the fund to the President and to the Congress. That makes the Secretary of Treasury what? An officer of the fund. Okay. The Secretary of Treasury, yeah, he is guilty. The Secretary of Treasury is authorized to issue gold certificates in such form and in such denomination as he may determine against any gold held by the United States Treasury. The amount of gold certificates issued and or outstanding shall at no time exceed the value at the legal standard provided in Section 2 of Power Value Modification Act 31, United States Code 449, on the date of enactment of this amendment of the gold so held against gold certificates. They're in the gold certificates. All right. The amendment made by Sections 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 of this Act shall become effective upon entry into the force of the amendments approved in the Resolution Number 31-4 of the Board of Governors of the Fund. Now, this is called the Brentwoods Agreement Act, folks. And this is what set up Title 22, United States Code, Section 286A, which says that these officers are paid out of the fund. They're not paid as United States employees. Capiche? any doubt in your mind now who gets paid where they don't we don't pay them they're paid by somebody else the fund who is the fund all of those rich guys that are sitting over here if they're trying to control our country all right now okay let's move on here we got things to do i want to show you something else too let's look at the very first book of title of the united states codes annotated and i don't care which section you grab grab either uh, lawyer's edition or if you grab uh I want you to take a particular note to this and pay close attention. I want this amplified if you can do it. I want it to read right here. The part where it says, This title has been enacted into positive law. Notice the little asterisk right here, folks. There's a little asterisk right here. Everybody see that? Can you see that? You see my pen? Move it till you see my pen point come in. You see my pen point? All right, all right. This title has been enacted in as positive law. Okay? Notice the little asterisk. When you come down here, 
And all these titles that got the little asterisks are all part of the law. Title 11 bankruptcy, Title 13 census, Title 14 Coast Guard, you know. Copyrights, you got crimes and criminal procedure, Title 18, right? Now, I want you to notice something as we come over to Title 26 here. Title 26 is the Internal Revenue Code. It's never been enacted into law. It's a regulation. Can you get it? Can you get it? See that? Look closely. Title 26 and Title 27. Do you see an asterisk there? You don't see one, do you? No, sir. <coughs> That's because there ain't one. <coughs> now, let's look at the other version. The other version is exactly the same. This is the one out of the official U.S. reports for titles. And this one says, can you get my pen? You tell me when. All right, sir. Okay. This title has been enacted as law. Look at all the titles that got an asterisk. You'll notice again, Title 26 and Title 27, Zippo. No asterisk. Everybody see that real clear? Pull it over. No asterisk. Obviously, it's never been enacted as law. How could it be? I'll tell you how. we got a case over here called Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, and I'm going to bring it to your attention. Erie Railroad versus Tompkins is a magnificent court case. Basically, what this court case did... This court case is recorded at volume 304, United States Reports, section, or page 64 is the start of the case. That's 304, volume 304, United States Reports, section 604. Now, what this case does is it sets up a duality of citizenship. There are the citizens that live at the common law, and there are the citizens that live at the national law, or what is called Admiralty and Maritime Jurisdiction. Now, the way they get away with putting this Title 26 and this Title 27 out, the way they do it, is they create this Admiralty and Maritime Jurisdiction, and if you volunteer into it, you are in it. If you step in it, it's on you. Okay? So I'm telling you, don't do that. You know what the doctor says. Every time you go to the doctor, you say, Doc, every time I do this, it hurts. You know what the doctor tells you? He says, don't do that no more. You don't do that no more, it won't hurt, right? I'm telling you, the same thing applies to this. Don't volunteer. How do you volunteer? You enter and you watch what you sign, number one. Any evidences of contracts where you are an admiralty or maritime jurisdiction says that you are a party to the contract. So you avoid that. When you sign that bank draft to get into that bank and that Section 9 form you fill out, guess what? Look at the bottom. You sign to get into an admiralty maritime jurisdiction. What the hell would you want to do that for? It's illogical. When you signed up for that Social Security check. So, <clears throat> how are we going to remedy this situation? 1-207, without prejudice. You sign anything that has to do anything with those guys, take the rights that they'll give them to you. Take the benefits. But make sure when you sign it, you sign it UD, 1-207, without prejudice. And that makes you common law citizen. And when they pull you into these courts and they claim they have jurisdiction over you, you say, the first thing out of your mouth is, Your Honor, may it please the court, before this matter goes forward, I wish to state that I am here on a special appearance as distinguished from a general appearance, and I am answering in the form of a demure. A demure is an old way of pleading. It's an old-fashioned, old-country, barrister, English way of pleading without granting jurisdiction. In other words, I'll answer out of courtesy, and I'll give you an answer out of courtesy, but at no time am I granting jurisdiction that I put on my briefs. I state my name, I state the defendant, in propria persona, on a special appearance as distinguished from a general appearance for jurisdictional challenges. Now, I've raised the issue of jurisdictional challenges. I'm putting on the record. It's clearly cognizant. Once jurisdiction is raised, the 
the burden is on the plaintiff to prove jurisdiction pursuant to uh, McNutt versus General Motors Acceptance Corporation recorded at 56 Supreme Court 502. It says, jurisdiction may never be assumed, but must be substantively proven by the plaintiff claimant. They don't prove it in a timely fashion. Latches incurs. Latches is a species of action where a party of reasonable intelligence and integrity having a right to take an action as is prescribed by law and having failed to timely do so, loses all right to proceed. So if they don't prove it timely, motion to dismiss, Your Honor, if they state a cause of action for which relief can be granted, and I'd kind of like to collect my costs and fees for having to defend this frivolous case. Does that make sense to you? All right, now, let's get into this Erie Railroad case. This is a railroad case. What it's about, the guy was walking down the track and a board was hanging off the end of the train and whacked him upside the head. He tried to sue in the state courts. The state courts uh, hammered him. So what happened was Erie Railroad had flipped around and they tried to sue him in the federal courts to get back at him. And they thought they were pulling a fast one. And what happened was the case bounced back on them. And guess what? When it bounced back, it created a very, very dangerous thing. Now, before this, I want you to understand that for 100 years of law, this case was the one that, that was the leading case before this. And this was called McCulloch versus Maryland, the state of Maryland. This is a very leading case. This is the most heavy case. It comes in two sections. That's what tells you how thick it is. So you're going to be reading for a while. This case upheld for 100-plus years, practically almost 100 years. This case is recorded at... <clears throat> Oh, where are we at here? Where is the site? The site is, uh, uh, come on, give me a break. It's page 316. What is the volume? You guys are messing with me. You see a volume in there? Well, let's see what they call out here. They call up the beginning of the case. Well, we'll get you the volume. I should know it by heart, but I don't. Let's see if we can get it. It's an 1819 case. It is an old case. And it upheld for years the uh, single citizenship relationship. And it deals with the corporations. The power of establishing a corporation is not a distinct sovereign power or end of government, but only the means of carrying into effect other powers which are sovereign. Whenever it becomes an appropriate means of exercising any of the powers given by the Constitution to the government of the United Union, it may be exercised by that government. Now, basically, it sets up relationships. The Bank of the United States has constitutionally a right to establish its branches or other offices in dis discount and deposit within any state. Right? The state within which such branch may be established cannot, without violating the Constitution, tax that branch. All right? Now, it goes into some heavy arguments on taxes and some other arguments on, on, on programming, but I'm telling you here, this was the law of the land. I want to get a sight on this uh, for a, uh, a reference. This book was so old when we got it from. It should say what volume it is, but it doesn't. Normally, they put it in the case, and then they'll cite it one time, and then they'll say everything after that supra. They stated it at the beginning. All right. Volume four. Volume four. No, wait. That's not really a good. That's probably. You see these reporters in the early. This was 1819, folks. That's when this case came down. So this was going to be. You know, shortly after the Constitution was signed. <laughs> 1791 is when the Constitution was signed, so it's going to be an early case. All right, William McCulloch, defendant, blow in the branch. Normally they state the case one place and they state it. But anyway, to make a long story short, McCulloch versus Maryland is a very heavy case. It was the law of the land, and it was replaced by Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. There is no federal... Can you see that? 
There's no federal general common law. Congress has no power to declare substantive rules of common law applicable in a state, whether they be local in their nature or general, whether they be commercial law or in part of the law of torts. And no clause in the Constitution purports to confer such a power upon the federal courts, except in the matters governed by the federal Constitution or by acts of Congress. The law to be applied in any case is the law of the state. Got me? And whether the law of the state shall be declared by its legislature in a statute or by its highest court in a decision, not a matter of federal concern. Now, in disapproving the doctrine of the Swift versus Tyson, the court does not hold unconstitutional Section 34 of the Federal Judiciary Act of 1789 or any other act of Congress. It mere Title 26. Huh? It merely declares that by applying the doctrine of that case, rights which are reserved by the Constitution to the several states have been invaded. Invaded. That's why they can get away with having Title 26 without having no asterisk. They don't have to have it in law. They're claiming it's an act of Congress. And if you voluntarily enter into it, guess what? You bought the whole farm. A federal court exercising jurisdiction over such a case on the ground of diversity of citizenship. What am I talking about? Diversity of citizenship. I'm talking about dual citizenship, right? Is not free to treat this question as one of so-called general law, but must apply the state law as declared by the highest state court, Swift versus Tennyson, overruled. The liability of the railroad company for the injury caused by negligent operation of its train to its pedestrian on a much-used beaten path on its right-of-way interstate, right, along and near the rails depends in the absence of a federal or state statute upon the unwritten law of the state where the accident occurred. Now, what they're trying to do here is they're trying to justify the existence of this duality of citizenship between common law citizen, which you are, most of you, and this natural national citizen, which would fall under Title 26 United States Code. But I'm telling you to look up Section 6331A of Title 26, and you will see that the Treasurer... The Secretary of Treasury has jurisdiction only over corporations, officers of corporations, and officers of government residing in the District of Columbia and artificial corporation, who are contractors of the fund. Capiche? All right. Now, this is an important case. If you guys are going to be in this seriously battling and want to argue jurisdiction, which is a very good defense on almost anything they can pull on you, you're going to have to read these cases. Erie Railroad versus Tompkins, recorded at 304. That's volume 304, U.S., page 64 is where it starts. It's vital that you understand these arguments. I just finished battling a United States attorney, and we were arguing, and he's talking about, this is all gibberish. And I told him, I said, sir, I don't think you're well-read on the law. All you got to do is read several of these cases, and they'll tell you, one, there is a duality of citizenship. Two, it has to be clearly defined, and three, I have defined it. And now I'm asking you to prove that I'm not a party, or prove that I am a party. You tell me. It's your burden. You're the one making the complaint. You make the complaint, you get the burden of proof. Who says so? McNutt versus General Motors Acceptance Corporation, 56 Supreme Court, Section 5, or page 502. You made it, you prove it. Okay? You don't prove it timely, I motion to dismiss. Fair state of cause of action for which relief can be granted, and I will beat your little tail. So I would highly recommend you get to busy to proving it. Now... 
And if you think the stuff don't work, let me tell you something here. Right here, right today, government came, told me, motion to dismiss, right? United States of America hereby moves pursuant to federal rules of criminal procedure for leave to dismiss the indictment in the case of support of the statutes, okay? Now, <laughs> they can't argue. They, certificate of service. Order dismissing indictment, which the judge will sign. The government having moved to dismiss the indictment in the case of this court, being fully advised in the premise that is ordered in the indictment of B, and the hereby is dismissed with prejudice, and that the defendant's bond is canceled, it is so ordered and adjudged. Wherefore, the United States requests that this court enter the attached order dismissing the indictment without prejudice, but we'll figure that out. We'll fix that up. See, I don't care if we go to court, because I know who's going to win. And I pray to God that he'll help me do that. So if they want to go to court, I tell them, make my day. When I'm in the court, the guy says to me, well, we could get you for an income tax evasion. And you might win one, but you won't win them all. I looked at him most calmly, and I said to him in the clearest and gracious language, I said, sir, I'm going to advise you to go look in them law books real carefully because I'm going to tell you straight arrow, I have had occasion to look in them law books. And I'm telling you, sir, if you bring that complaint against me, I'm going to tell you to make my day. I'm a pretty serious fellow, and I'm not going to fool with you. I'll sue your socks off and attach everything you own, bank business and home. So the best thing I can tell you is before you make a complaint, sir, I would highly recommend that you seriously consider the merits of your facts before you go writing a bunch of dribble. And when we got him today, he's talking about, well, your briefs are nothing but gibberish. So we asked him, he said, well, on our proposed order to have it dismissed, do you want us to put it down there for uh, good gibberish shown or just generally good cause shown? So he got a little red in the face and stormed out. But the bottom line is, if you know your facts and you got your stuff together, I'm telling you people out there in TV land, you can do this stuff. I, I, as God is my judge, I, I'm a truck driver. I'm a, I've been an engineer for a while. I've, uh, I'm a fisherman, a hunter, and a guide. Uh, I, I'm a regular person. I just read a lot, okay? I know people like to add stuff in the game, but I, I'm a regular citizen of the United States. I love my country and its constitution, and uh, I'm not fooling around. I want them to honor my constitution, and I don't think that's too much to ask. I think a lot of fine soldiers paid for it. Maybe a lot of patriots, some of the finest people I've ever known have paid for it. Uh, I especially uh, tout uh, Donald Costa, who was the uh, editor of the Constitutionalist newspaper and uh, the, the initiator and starter of the uh, Justice Prose movement in this area. Uh, he was a great man. He was a courageous man. Uh, he was found shot to death in his home with a bullet in his nose because obviously he stuck his nose in places it shouldn't have on a bin. He was a tireless defender of the people and the Constitution. Many a time we uh, cruised the countryside uh, doing meetings hither and yon. He wore a white cowboy hat, which we used to joke about. Good guys wear white hats. Uh, he was a, an exceptional personality. He lost everything he owned, fighting to the death. And uh, I, I, uh, I especially offer my, my serious prayers for his soul and for the soul of all patriots who have suffered tremendous things to uh, put on this Constitution and to keep us going. The people with the WWCR radio there, uh, God bless you. Uh, radio Free America, Tom Ballantyne, uh, Bill Cooper, uh, 
the infamous uh, Jack McLam from uh, Vampire Killer 2000. He, uh, there's a uh, serious, serious battlers out here, folks. Uh, myself included. There's quite a few patriots all around. Um, I can't tell you the names of the people that I feel absolutely privileged to know because the list would be so long here it would take another two hours just for the tape. But I can tell you some exceptional people and some of them are on bond and they can't be doing that so <laughs> so I, I'm respecting their you know, some of the things the infamous Eugene May, E. J. May. Uh there's just so many. The infamous no tax Jim, James Gordon Lott. Uh I mean, the names are endless. Um, so I'm telling you folks out here, there's a lot of good people out here that are pulling for you that have risked a whole lot, have gone to jail, have stood out in rain, protesting. <laughs> uh, the infamous Dave Franklin, who is one of the most leading arguers on constitutional issues of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction. Uh, the outstanding uh, Art Morris, who published the book... Uh, uh, the Greatest Swindle Ever Told, which is about 4,000 pages of documentary evidence on income tax uh, situations. Uh, we're going to share you a couple of arguments in the end, and then we're going to kind of close it off here. Uh, until the next time. I, I want to thank you very much for inviting me into your home, and uh, hopefully we haven't bored you to tears, and at the same time you will have a new uh, love of your Constitution and your country, and that you will... Uh, push like hell to make sure these people understand, hey, this is America, pal. Last time I checked, there's a flag on a pole out there, and it's an American flag. We don't want no blue flag out there. We want that American flag out there. And we got a constitution, and we're going to keep it. And if you don't like it, move. Preferably someplace out of here, like Russia or other places. If you like that kind of government, go for it. Knock yourself out. That's what that's what free America is all about. you got a right to... Any idea you like is so you don't injure your neighbor. You got a right to free speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Got me? Does that make sense? Okay. If you don't like it here, move. You want you don't want to exercise your constitutional rights, that's your prerogative, but if you get abused, don't say we didn't tell you. Because uh God kind of wants us to do this thing, because this is, this is his holy land, and he's hoping that we're going to have enough hair on our tail feather to do it. Now, I want to get into a couple other arguments. One of the things I want to tell you about is procedure. If you're going to go to court and you're going to be your own attorney, by the way, this is the infamous no-tax Jim. He just died, God rest his soul. The infamous James Gordon Lott. I helped the gentleman do his appeal briefs to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I can tell you he was one hell of a gentleman. He can quote Tragedy and Hope, Quigley's Tragedy and Hope from uh, from the hip, from memory. And he just passed away. Just recently he died. I want you to see how he died, too. Where is it? it says, He was alone when he died, Monday, and no services planned, and they cremated his body. He fought to the end. To his last day, he was on the Mark Scott program. There's another exceptional patriot, Mark Scott. I, I can't speak highly enough for the courage it takes to come on the radio and tell God's truth. Uh, and there's a lot of people like him. Tommy McIntyre, uh, Mike Reagan. Uh, we could get you a list a mile long. There's patriots that come on and tell it like it is. J.P. McCarthy is another one that gets on there and tells it like it is. Uh, I remember this one casual time he got Gus Hall on, and J.P. said to Gus Hall, he says, Gus, don't you get tired of losing? Because Gus was running for president from the Communist Party ticket. And Gus turned to him and he said, J.P., what makes you think we're losing? 
He said, we've implemented every plank of the Communist Manifesto. We just haven't got the guns from the people yet. And J.P. turned to him and said, yeah, and you ain't going to get them from the people. What do you think of that? <laughs> well, folks, what do you think of that? They're working on it, aren't they? Huh? No. You're going to go to court and you're going to be your own attorney. you got to be sharp. you got to keep records. You go to court, you write it down. You get anything in paperwork, you write it down. You send them anything in paperwork, you write it down. You got me? You don't be screwing around on me because I'm going to tell you some of these things got dates and times and things that you got to do. And if you don't take care of business, guess what? They ain't going to take care of it for you. You're your own attorney. If you want, if you want to be your own attorney, you got to have records. You got to keep on top of things. So every time you do something, you write it down. And you make sure you can go back and say, yeah, I remember on such and such a date at such and such a time this happened and this happened and this happened. You can construct a chronological order of events, okay? <clears throat> now, also write down all important numbers to anybody that has anything that's got to be done. Okay, now, what we want to get into is we want to get into some serious arguments on uh, taxes. Okay? Well, also, we should tell you that if anybody violates your rights, okay, Title 42, United States Code, Section 1983. Everybody got this? Can you see it? Every person who, under color of statute, ordinance, or regulation, customer usage of any state or territory or the District of Columbia subjects or causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States or other person within the jurisdiction thereof to the deprivation of any rights, privileges, or immunities secured by the Constitution and the laws shall be liable to the party injured in an action at law, suit, inequity, or other proper proceeding for the redress. For the purpose of this section, any act of Congress applicable exclusively to the District of Columbia. Why do you think they said that? Because they're members of the fund. And they are, they are under Title 26, Section 6331A shall be considered to be a statute of the District of Columbia. Now, does everybody understand about admiralty and maritime jurisdiction? I know you don't, but not. Not a little bit. They have created a duality of citizenship under the 14th Amendment. They're claiming there's common law rights, which everybody gets their constitution, and there's national rights where you waive all your constitution. Now, which did you want? Does that sound like a good deal? Sounds like you're being ripped to me. Here we got the 1-207. Remember, 1-207, right? All right, now. Okay. Where are we at here? We want to show Jack McClam's magnificent books, too. Vampire Killer 2000 and the Aiden Abet Newsletter. We need to get these out to every police officer in the United States of America. They need to understand what the heck's going on here. You get a hold of Jack McClam and his people at Vampire Killer 2000, and they will be happy to put this book out. This explains to your police officers exactly what the heck's going on. And they have an Aid and Abet newsletter that you can get. Let's get that out, Aid and Abet. Aid and Abet Police Newsletter, P.O. Box 8787, Phoenix, Arizona, 85066, right? And he has a phone number you can call him, too, I think. Now, they have these vampire killers out, and it tells the police everything they need to know. Also, they publish a newsletter, Aid and Abet newsletter. You want to make sure, Aid and Abet, okay? And get that to your police officers. I have, what I like to do is when a police officer busts me for something, what I like to do is I like to enroll him in a free subscription. And you know what? He hands it out to everybody. 
Plus, I'm doing him a service. Now, if you folks don't think this is serious, I'm telling you right now, they're building these work camps, these multi-jurisdictional forces and these work camps all over. Notice that most of them are coordinated between Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, and Wisconsin. And then they got a bunch more out here in the uh, Wyoming, Idaho, the Great West, and they got them in California. Then they got these detention facilities. Everybody paid attention to these detention facilities. Notice where most of them are, and what they call them is regional prisons. Look at all the ones here in Michigan, Indiana, and Ohio, or Illinois. There's a bunch of new ones sometimes. Yeah, there is. I know, I know, I know there is. They prop up and they call themselves... Okay, and then they got battle groups, United Nations battle groups. I mean, we've had reports of Russian troops being in Michigan all summer. And we got positive sightings by people that are retired military colonels and above. And we know they were at Camp Grayling this summer. So I'm telling you folks, the time to wake up is now. Wake up, America, before it's too late. Before you lose your God-given rights to some foreign potentate. You might think that you uh, you look like a sucker. I mean, you want to buy any apples off that cart? I ain't buying no apples off that cart, because I know they're all rotten. Okay? Now, we want to get into... Um, Militia. The next thing we want to get into is the militia, right? And then we want to get into taxes, seriously. And that'll be the close for today. Now, those of you who have been in militia groups and everybody's getting all panicky, let's understand a few things about the militia. Whether you like it or not, you are in the militia in the state of Michigan. And I will tell you right where it says that. Article 17, militia, right here. What does it say? And this is from the 1850 Constitution. All the way back in our state to the Northwest Territories they, Treaty, they have a militia. But this is an example of what they're talking about. The militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens between the ages of 18 and 45 years, except such as are exempted by laws of the United States and of the state, but all such citizens of any religious denomination, whatever, who from scruples of conscience, all right? In other words, if you're a conscientious objector, Maybe adverse to bearing arms shall be excused therefrom upon such conditions as shall be prescribed by law. And they have con conscientious objector statuses, okay? And you go to the 1908 Constitution, just to show you that this is the God's truth here. 1908 Michigan Constitution. The Michigan militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens between the ages of 18 and 45 years of age, except such as are exempted by laws of the United States or of this state, but all such citizens of any religious denomination who, from scruples of conscience, may be adverse to bearing arms, shall be excused therefrom upon such conditions as shall be prescribed by law. Okay? Now, that's the 1908 Constitution. Now you come up here, now this is just lets you know the trend, the trend here. Now, we're in the uh, 1963 Constitution, and in the 1963 Constitution, oh, I wanted to show you a little diverse thing here. This right here. Common law and statutes and continuance in Michigan. The common law and the statute laws now in force, not repugnant to this Constitution, shall remain in force until they expire by their own limitations or are changed, amended, or repealed. So the common law is prevailing. The militia, here we go. I knew we'd seen it. Now notice, folks, 
as the, as the thing as the thing goes on, it gets shorter and shorter. Here's your militia. This is Article Three, Section Four. The militia shall be organized, equipped, and disciplined as provided by law. That's all you get now. Now, when you look in the beginning of this Constitution, there is an there is a, a empowering statutory uh, phrase that says all constitutions before everything they had in them are carried forward to this Constitution, and that's how they're allowed to do this. So what would happen in this case, because they haven't clearly defined it here, they would have to go back in the law to the previous Constitution, which would be the 1908 Constitution, which we just read to you. Well, this one right here. So this one would be the militia shall be composed of all able-bodied male citizens, 18 to 45 years of age. So that would be the controlling one, because that's as prescribed by law, just like they said. Does everybody see that? Now, the bottom line here, folks, is a lot of people are all upset about the militia. All the militia is is concerned citizens that are worried about their constitution getting flushed down the toilet. We're not putting up with that stuff. We want people to understand that we love the constitution, we love our country, and we're not screwing around. All right, here we go. Generally, the militia shall be organized, equipped, and disciplined as provided by law. Now, let's get into that. The single section is substituted for all of this relating to the militia in the present 1908 Constitution. Remember I told you about empowering? The existing article ties the legislature down to an outmoded concept of what the militia should be. you believe that? Why our forefathers would be rolling over in their grave. Details as to organizing equipment and disciplining the militia are left to the legislative enactment in the interest of the flexibility and future requirements. Ah, does that mean future requirements if it got nasty and down and dirty we would have our militia come back? Sounds good to me. I could go for that. The bottom line is the people that know what's going around are not screwing around. They join the militia. Okay? All right. Now, Article 10. All right, here we go. Here we go. Article, Article 9. Let's pull this out. The militia, organization, and discipline. The legislature shall provide by law for organizing and disciplining the militia in such manner as they shall deem expedient not incompatible with the Constitution and the laws of the United States. But they're not doing it, right? The legislature shall provide for efficient discipline of the officers, commissioned and non-commissioned, and that musicians and or may provide by law for the organization and discipline of the volunteer companies. Volunteer companies. Notice that. Volunteer companies, huh? Officers of the militia shall be elected or appointed in such manner as the legislature shall from time to time direct and shall be commissioned by the governor. The governor shall have the power to call forth the militia to execute the laws of the state to suppress insurrections and repel invasions. That's what our forefathers had in mind when they had a militia. Now, if they're going to invade us, they're going to change our money, they're going to shut down our constitution. That's why the militia needs to be organized. That's why you need to be down there talking to a militia. That's why you need to be joining the militia. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care what color, national origin, ethnic background you come from. You need to be down to the militia, and you need to be talking to them folks about this is the United States of America, and I will protect it and its constitutional form of government. And by doing that, if we do it in sufficient numbers, most probably what will happen is the New World Order scammers will realize, ah, the people woke up, ah, we screwed up. We'll have to wait another 300 years to try and pull it again. And let's hope that's what happens. If that isn't what happens, then the militia will defend the republic, because it's like what our forefathers intended. And we will defend the republic, as we always do, with vigor. 
And we will have a government by constitution. That American flag will be on that pole out there. And anybody that wants to try something different, hey, knock yourself out. But plan on a very severe battle because we will never give up the United States of America, its constitutional government, or our American flag, or our American heritage. So this idea that you're going to wear us out, tie us down, otherwise skew us around is nothing but a lot of hoodung. It ain't going to happen in your lifetime. As a matter of fact, your lifetime may not be that long either. Because we try traitors in this country. And the bottom line is the penalty for treason is death. And it's not our purpose to threaten or coerce or otherwise intimidate any person, but we want you to understand that this is the United States of America, this is a country governed by constitutional law, that that constitutional law prescribed penalties for criminal acts, and that those criminal acts can be punished by a lawful means. We're asking all persons that are involved in all walks of government or there any areas of the law to please, 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 let's get back to the Constitution and quit screwing around. Let's just get back to what's supposed to be done and quit screwing around. Pull back your Federalist Papers and let's start reading. You're going to find out. Everything that's in this book is directly applicable today. We need to do it over. We need to get back to a gold and silver standard. We need to get back to a serious means of trade expedience that's going to hold the standards of our country even. We won't have this inflation. We won't have this ridiculous market situation. We're asking you, please, before God, we're asking you. We want our Constitution. We want it back. We want all of the American principles that we stand for, that our brave soldiers died for. And we're asking you to please quit screwing around. Let's get down to brass tacks. You, you've been feeding the pablum to the babies too long. We, we're way, believe me, we're way ahead of you. You may not think so, but I'm here to tell you, we're way ahead of you. You're going to wake up someday and you're going to be shocked. We're going to be all standing out there smiling. Because you're going to be the one that's asleep, not us. We know what we're talking about. We're not fooling around. We want you to honor our Constitution. God bless America. We want you to keep us safe. We want, to, we want to be into the 21st century stronger than we were in the 17th century. We're not fooling around, so please. Now, we can go into this book, and this book clearly establishes they never wanted to have a militia or a standing army. They only trusted. You listen to some of these arguments in here. Okay? But it is said that the laws of the Union are to be the supreme law of the land. What inference can be drawn from this? Or what would you what would they amount to if they were not to be supreme? It is evident they would amount to nothing. A law by the very meaning of the term includes supremacy. It is the rule which those to whom it is prescribed are bound to observe. This results from every political association. If individuals enter into a state of society of laws of that society must be the supreme regulator of their conduct. If a number of political societies enter into a larger political society, the laws which the latter may enact pursuant to the powers entrusted, entrusted to it by its constitution must necessarily be supreme over those societies and the individuals of whom they are comp composed of. It would otherwise be a mere treaty dependent on good faith of the parties and not a government, which is only another word for a political power and supremacy. But it will not follow from this doctrine that acts of larger society, which are not pursuant to its constitutional powers, but which are invasions of the residuary authorizes of the smaller societies will become the supreme law of the land. These will be merely acts of usurpation, which is kind of what's going on, and will deserve to be treated as such. 
Hence, we perceive that the clause which declares the supremacy of the laws of the Union, like the one we, we have just before considered, only declares a truth which flows immediately and necessarily from the institution of the federal government. It will not, I presume, have escaped observation that it expressly confines the supremacy to laws made pursuant to the Constitution, which I mention merely as an instance of caution in the Convention, since the limitation would have been to be understood through, though it had not been expressed. Though a law, therefore, for laying a tax for a use of the United States would be supreme in its nature and could not legally be opposed or controlled, yet a law for abrogating and preventing the collection of a tax laid by the authority of the state, unless upon imports and exports, would not be the supreme law of the land, but an usurpation of power not granted by the Constitution, as far as an improper accumulation of taxes on the same object might tend to render the collection difficult or precarious. This would be a mutual inconvenience, not arising from the superior or defect of the power. Now we want to get into some serious arguments here. We want to go to page 108. About the middle of the page. Except as to the rule of apportionment, the United States have indefinite discretion to make requisitions for men and money. That means they can ask. But they have no authority to raise either by regulations extending to the individual citizens of America. That's why we don't have a Title 26 that applies to you. The consequences of this is that, though in theory their resolution concerning those objects are laws constitutionally binding on the members of the Union, yet in practice they are mere recommendations which the states observe or disregard at their option. This is the intent of the framers. Cohen versus Virginia, 632-1821, says this is the exact intent. Is it pretty hard for you to understand what their intent was? They never intended to have an internal revenue, ever. They hated people that operated like that, that operated a tyranny against the people. All right, let's get on with this. Wise politicians will be cautious about fettering the government with restrictions that cannot be observed because they know that every breach of the fundamental laws, though dictated by necessity, impairs that sacred reverence which ought to be maintained in the breast of rulers towards the constitution of a country, and forms a precedent for other breaches where the same plea of necessity does not exist at all, or is less urgent and palpable, Publius. And it teaches us, in addition to the rest, how unequal parchment provisions are to struggle with public necessity. You know, I mean, you start reading. you got to read. Don't sit there like a bump on a log. Read. Get all kind of good stuff going here. I could I could sit here and read this to you all night. Time is money and knowledge is power. That's why you need the Basic Research Library CD from the American Voice Now. This CD contains the Federalist Papers, which are the definitive writings illustrating the intent of the Constitution, and the Anti-Federalist Papers, which read like a crystal ball to everything gone wrong concerning the present-day Constitution. This CD also contains Bovier's Law Dictionary and the Uniform Commercial Code, plus the inaugural speeches of the U.S. Presidents, the U.N. Charter, NAFTA, Hitler's Mein Kampf, the full Communist Manifesto, the Patriot Act 1 and 2, the model anti-bioterrorism law, the Homeland Security Bill, the FBI's Project Medigo, and too much more to mention here. The CD contains over a thousand files. To order your CD, go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call us at 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. You're listening 
to the American Voice Radio Network on free-to-air KU satellite at Galaxy 25, Transponder 5, frequency 11836 vertical. You can listen to the American Voice 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The fruits are grown in chaos, distrust, and economic depression. A weary populace can seek peace only from the solutions they offer. They have worked until suicide has become so common that it generally calls forth no legitimate investigation. They have used the courts, the judges, the medical profession, and even the Constitution to further their ends. America now has over one million of its citizens in prison for political crimes. So who are they? And how long have they been at this? Psychopolitical Warfare is a 70-page color cover booklet that describes the strategy and tactics behind psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is only $10 from The American Voice. Go to www.theamericanvoice.com or call 541-826-9050. That's 541-826-9050 for ordering information. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. My co-host, Alfred Adisk and James Corbett of the Corbett Report, will be joining you for the second and third segments of the program today. So let's get started right away with the market report for Thursday, August 6th, 2015. Once again, thank you for joining us this afternoon. A little action in the markets today. You have uh, gold trading. It's up. You know, basically five bucks, but uh, it was higher 
by four earlier in the day at 1090. So we did have a, a high of 1094. Silver's up seven at 1476. Platinum was up three at 956. Palladium was up six at $603. The USDX today down point 11 at 97.77. A little more pressure on crude oil. 44.68 down 47.47. And the paper markets today, it shows. Let's get to that report. And, you know, the Dow was down about triple digits today. And it was the, the sixth day uh, that it has been down. And it's actually been the longest losing streak in almost a year since last October. So now you're looking at the Dow is down more than 2% for the year. And um, this is the lowest level that the Dow has been since February. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that you can blame it on. You can blame it on a lot of the Federal Reserve's uh, plans to raise interest rates. And if you get this kind of little bit of pressure on the markets already with just the thought of increasing rates, um, it will be interesting when they finally do. And uh, But you also have a lot of... Uh, a lot of commodities and crude oil and copper and, and uh, precious metals. Uh, you have your emerging markets. You have Brazil, Chile, and, and all these uh, other nations that rely so heavily on these products. And I even saw that it was getting so bad that Saudi Arabia is actually borrowing money to close its budget deficit. Think about that. So there's a lot of action going on. Um, uh, the, see what the, the paper markets actually did. We should have the final ticks in for the day on the markets. Uh, the final numbers, we have the Dow down 120 points at 17,419. You have the NASDAQ down 83 at 5,056. For some reason, they just eliminated my S&P. I don't know if that had a major drop in the last minutes or what. Um, she, usually right there with the rest of my numbers and it just disappeared so um if they don't hey if they don't like the numbers they'll just eliminate it and put it in a different place so you have to look for it but uh i'll see if i can't get those to you here and uh let me see if i can't pull it up somewhere else s&p down 17 at 2082 that's a a prior market close, but it's probably close enough. Oil today, as we talked about that, 10-year yield, 2.23%. Um, the Asian markets, uh, uh, China, London, Germany, they were all down maybe half a percent, so not a lot of action in the European market. So uh, the euro is trading at 109, so a lot of the, um, most of the action was, was here in the markets. But still, even the Dow, even though it's down 120, it's still not a full percent. Um, but you add up all those little market drops for a couple of months, for almost a year, and you're down 2%. So not a lot, but at least it's uh, beginning to, to show some signs of, of weariness, uh, show signs uh, that, uh, again, and usually contrary to popular belief. I mean, certainly you've had some big market moves in the month of October, but sometimes August can be, a, historically, is a much more volatile month than uh, some of your uh, Septembers. I think September is next, and October is the third. October is just, 
is often thought of because you've had the big major drops in those two months. But as far as volatility, it's really other months. Um, your big media companies today, they, they were hit the hardest. Um, how about Viacom? Their shares dropped 16%. Uh, Century Fox fell 11%. Aren't you glad you're owning gold? instead of these paper stocks so you know they get they get cream too they just don't get they just don't get talked about uh how about keurig you know the the coffee machine green mountain that plunged 29 percent and that's the biggest drop in the s p 500 and of course you know they do that packaging of coffee and brewing from where you can make one cup at a time it only takes a, a few seconds but they're going to be laying off about 5% of its workforce uh, to help cut costs. Uh, London, England, uh, the pound fell. Uh, the Bank of England, they voted to keep its key interest rates at a record low. Only one out of eight people on its policy committee voted for an increase, suggesting that the bank might take a little bit longer to start raising rates. Yeah, maybe another 10 years or so, just like the United States. You know, once you get them down to those low numbers, it's very difficult to start raising them uh, without uh, having a lot of turmoil uh, in your markets. But uh, but a lot of other bad things are happening at the same time. U.S. unemployment benefit filings rose to 270000 last week. Um, so you have a few more Americans filing for unemployment benefits last week. Um, I think the um, uh, everyone is still looking tomorrow. Mainstream media <coughs> is looking for the jobs report come on Friday. Uh, they're predicting the government's going to lie, showing about 225,000 jobs that were added. And, of course, yesterday I reported on the uh, ADP numbers, the payroll processor. They have 185,000. So there's really not a big difference between 185 and 225. Um, so, you know, you might, not, you might not see a lot of big change. Now, if they come in, the government comes in at 185 and matches the ADP numbers, you know, then you might be able to see a little more action in the market. So, um put a little boost in gold for two days uh, based on those numbers and certainly you know these numbers uh, is not what is needed to give gold the boost that we want and uh, you know it's again these numbers you know it's just uh, mainstream and government numbers and we know they lie just to make sure that uh, every one of them uh, continue to become wealthier and wealthier but uh, in the long run those who will be wealthy are those who own gold and silver um, I had one other report I've had some strange things happen to my computer today but uh, the AP I believe the IMF is recommending that China wait until at least October 2016 to join into the currencies, the uh, special drawing rights. Uh, and um, it will be interesting to see if they allow this to wait until next year. Um, I had a more detailed report on this. And as I said, I've had some strange, very strange things happen today um, on my computer. 
But uh, I think it's interesting that the IMF is suggesting that China wait until October 2016. Uh, remember the IMF suggested to Janet Yellen that she don't raise rates until later on the year in 2016. So I think um, you have to think why the IMF is looking for to delay these monetary policies uh, decisions for later in 2016. And I know we had Rob West on the program. We talked about what can happen, uh, about the inflation and so forth. And so it kind of makes you wonder, you know, we know the, the elite want the collapse. We know what their agenda is. We know they're going to promote the, you know, anything to become more globalized to the new world order. And so it's really interesting and it's almost a little more disturbing having them wait. I mean, because we, we kind of knew what's going to happen. Now, if they wait to make this decision to allow China to come on board, um, it, it pretty much tells me that it really is narrowing the time frame of what they want to happen. And um, so we'll try to talk a little more about this tomorrow. And I think that, um, you know, the, this... You can call it a club. I read the, the comments, you know, that China wants to join the currency club. and uh, But, you know, what, what this is, is it's a, a virtual currency. And what the IMF does is they use this for emergency loans. And this allows countries to increase their reserves in, in any type of crisis. So I don't think the IMF is suggesting China hold off because they don't think a crisis is this coming this soon, but um, or sooner than you know October of 2016. But with our elections, we got two major items that are going on at this point in time. We got the Iran, we got that agreement, um, working the final details out, and you got the trade agreements that are trying to get done. Um, just today, we had um, John Kerry. One of the, the problems with the uh, trade agreement, the TPP, was uh, uh, Malaysia is one of the countries that's supposed to be in this uh, uh, group of countries. and uh, But they couldn't get into, um, they weren't accepted because of their human trafficking problem. So, if you have a problem with something, what do you do? You you upgrade all the reports, and uh, you show there's been significant improvements. Uh, so now you can participate again in the talks for this regional trade back or pact that uh, the U.S. is backing. So Malaysia was upgraded from the lowest ranking in a U.S. human trafficking report. Uh, they were upgraded from last month from the Tier 3 ranking that it received from the State Department. You know, and these are all very short time frames. It's not like, oh, well, five years have gone by and we're going to upgrade you from, from, from the Tier 3, which is the lowest. Um, and again, you know, the decision was related directly to the involvement of the negotiation for the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. However, Kerry says, oh, <laughs> no. This doesn't have anything to do um, 
with this. He signed off on the trafficking report and had no conversations with anyone about links between it and the TPP talks. Oh, no, Mr. Kerry, you had no conversations at all. And I can't believe we've gotten so low in this country with our politicians that we're willing just to turn the cheek so that all these multinational corporations can just make another dime. The global report on trafficking in persons for 2012 revealed that 27% of all victims of human trafficking officially detected globally uh, are children. And it's up from 7%. I can't even imagine what the numbers are today. And again, when you look at these time frames and you look at even just how more globalized we have become just since 2012, just since 2006, can you imagine how much higher that uh, this is up, you know, for children. So, you know, and once you sign into these trade agreements, you know, they say, oh, well, we're going to watch Malaysia. They still have a long way to go, but we're going to watch them. And we'll demote them if they don't follow through with their promises and and continue to uh, correct this problem. But, you know, once you sign into these trade agreements, there's no turning back. Everybody will forget about the human trafficking. Everybody will forget all about what has happened. Everybody will forget about all the children. And um, the fast-track authority that Obama was able to get from our politicians selling us out uh, um, bars the U.S. actually from entering into trade agreements with nations that have the Tier 3 ranking. So that's why they had to increase or improve Malaysia's. uh, and, And Malaysia was the only country in these talks that had this ranking. And uh, they have found, in Malaysia, they have found abandoned jungle camps that they use by human traffickers. They find graves, hundreds and hundreds of graves. Um, And uh, they they find all kinds of things that are run by, you know, these smugglers. And, uh, you know, they hold these people. And, you know, we certainly know what these people are used for. We know what the children are used for. Um. For those of you who own a small business, and I think this is also interesting for those of you who have a credit card, a majority of small business owners are unaware of an impending shift that could leave them liable for fraud committed with a new generation of chip-embedded credit cards. I've noticed my credit cards are being updated with this little chip in there, and I don't use them. Wells Fargo did a survey and they found out, I guess this is the October 1 deadline for businesses to get these card readers and the software to handle the new credit cards. And businesses, retailers, and other businesses without this equipment to handle these chip-embedded cards will start to be liable beginning October 1st if there is a, if there's some sort of fraud that is committed by the customer. You know, and... and you know, these banks, they've never been merchant-friendly when it comes to the credit cards. Um, on the Internet, there's so much fraud. I bought a pair of shoes on the Internet, and I got a call from the shoe company just to make sure that it was me that was purchasing 
the cards. And I was told back in the 1990s by a credit, I think it was Discover, that told me that if someone purchases something from a merchant and you call them up and you tell them that you didn't make this trade, that you didn't uh, authorize it, they'll deduct it from the merchant and the customer gets to keep whatever they purchased. And it's up to the merchant to prove that uh, you know there was some sort of fraud involved. And I guess I could go on talking today, but I just looked at my clock and it seems like I'm way overdue uh, to go into breaks uh, for uh, commercials and to um, get out of here so you can listen to Alfred Adask and Corbett of the Corbett Report. So stay tuned, and I'll be joining Alfred tomorrow on Friday. So uh, stay tuned. make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Are you concerned about prescription drug dependency to stay healthy? Are you worried that the cost and availability of your medications may put your health at risk? Perhaps it's time you consider a natural, safe, and effective way to deal with your health problems. If only you knew where to start. Start right here. Tune in to Herb Talk Live with herbalist Wendy Wilson every Tuesday and Thursday evening, 7 p.m. on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, where your health care options just became endless. Hey! <laughs> 
Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adask, and this is the American Independent. Oops, no, it's not. This is Financial Survival. I do the American Independence Hour on Tuesday nights, and uh, that's a different program. Um, our guest tonight is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, C-O-R-B-E-T-T Report.com. James has been living in Japan since 2004. He started the Corbett Report in 2007 as an outlet for independent, independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. He's, edit, he's an editorial writer for the International Forecaster, and he is a regular guest on this program almost every, uh, we, we, every Wednesday night. We broadcast the interview on, on uh, Thursday, in part because of the time differences. It's morning for James, and it's late night for me, so here we go. Um, do you remember Julia Child, James? Vaguely, uh, not 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 by personal uh, interest, uh, but I do know the name. A little too young to remember Jane. Uh, remember I do Julia know she was CIA. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, that's my understanding. Also, she was a big lady, um, <laughs> and a surprising, you know, kind of an outrageous personality in a sense. Sort of amount theatrics to her, but. Uh, intelligent and she had a gourmet cooking program and she would introduce the program on a regular basis say today <laughs> pork roast or today chicken well in keeping with julia's tradition today china got some minute i have some questions for you that deal with the subject of china and we can start with an article from the chinese times or the China Times, and it says, China to contribute to a new global trade system. That's the headline. China will join in and contribute to the construction of a new global trade system, said Premier Li Keqiang. Is that anywhere close? Li Keqiang? I guess so. Um, in Beijing on Tuesday, Li also called for the United States to become more open and create more favorable conditions for the two countries' deeper cooperation. Lee said the China-U.S. relationship is conducive, a good China-U.S. relationship is conducive to both countries and will help them to realize more global interests. The two countries should respect each other, strengthen mutual trust, deepen cooperation, and control disputes. Now, this is an interesting article for me because... To begin with, it doesn't specify what the new global trade system will be. I'm assuming that Premier Lee is talking about the proposed trade system that at least begins with the BRICS nation. Do you know if that's correct? I do not know specifically because I haven't read a transcript of this actual uh, speech itself, but it sounds to me like a general uh, proposal, not a specific proposal about an actual trade system, but just sort of the general new new world economic order or whatever it's being called. That might be. Um, it struck me as odd that he didn't specify what the terms, the article didn't specify. We're going to have a new global trade system, but they didn't say what it was going to be, which brings me to, you know, the balance of my my questions here. If the Chinese create a new global trade system, how will that system differ from the current global trade system except by the choice of currency or currencies that are allowed for payment? In other words, the current global trade system is primarily based on U.S. dollars. China's 
new global trade system will be conducted with China's renminbi, or at least that's the implication. Other than choice of currency, how will the two global trade systems differ? Do you have any idea? Well, I would venture to say that the difference in currency is one that has a lot of different ramifications, including in the geopolitical sphere um, mm -hmm. and just generally in terms of global, global relations. So that I think the Chinese would like to frame this by saying that in the, you know, the, the Pax Americana, global one world order, the, the one superpower order that we've been living under since the end of World War II, Obviously, it's the United States primarily that sets the sort of world uh, international relations. And as a result, you have all of these developing economies that are um, suppressed, I'm sure would be the way that it would be framed, um, just in terms of not getting much space at the table uh, when it comes to these big organizations like the IMF or what have you. Um, and I think that the Chinese would like to frame it as saying, well, as we move away from that system towards one that's more balanced towards global trade, we will see a rise in sort of uh, wealth and, and uh, happiness just generally across the board. I think that's the way it would be framed. I think there, we'd be right to, to look at that uh, the, with, a, with a quizzical glance, a skeptical glance, but, uh, but I think that's the way it would be framed. And there may be elements to that that are correct. And I think part of that would be the, the moving away from the U.S. dollar hegemon, which, of course, does allow the U.S. to act with relative impunity uh, around the globe. Because, again, as the world reserve currency, they can just continue to print as much of it as the world will take. And uh, the world hasn't had its fill of U.S. debt yet. Do you think that the choice of currency is the essential factor in any global trade system? We've had the choice of currency at one point was gold, at one point it was the English pound, one point the U.S. Uh, the U.S. dollar. Is, I mean, are, is there a difference between China says we have a new and improved global trade system? What's the difference between that and the existing one except they're going to focus on the renminbi more so than the dollar? I think there is a difference in these various systems that have been used over time. And we can see that, for example, um, in the lead up to World War II, where the world was still working on a gold reserve uh, backing, in, in which there, there was a lot of uh, uh, sort of movement of gold that was taking place to cover uh, trade imbalances at that time. That was basically a system that was heading towards breakdown and really did start to break down in the 1930s, which set off a series of trade wars which really was the forerunner to what we saw uh, develop into the World War. So there are real consequences to the way that in, um, international reserves and, uh, and trade imbalances and accounts are settled, and that can have a huge impact on the world generally. So then, of course, after Bretton Woods, we saw the Bretton Woods order that lasted from 45-ish to about 44 or 45 to about 71, when Nixon took the, the dollar off the gold standard and basically ended that system. And since then, we've essentially had the petrodollar, which brings with it, of course, all the turmoil in the Middle East, which happens because of the U.S. military umbrella over Saudi Arabia and all of that. I mean, there's so many different aspects to these, these fundamental decisions, decisions that come from what, what is going to be the world reserve currency and how it's going to be administered. So I have no doubt that if we do move, for example, as seems increasingly likely to be the case, towards something like the IMF special drawing rights basket as a new world reserve currency, as we move towards that, I'm sure there will be fundamental tectonic shifts that take place in terms of international relations. And it's a question of 
who benefits from that? Who loses yep. from that? Is it ultimately going to be better for humanity as a whole? How do you measure that? I am exceptionally skeptical of that because my fundamental premise continues to be that the greater amount of centralization and control over the world economy, the, ultimately the less uh, that's going to benefit the average person. It might benefit the people at the top of the various economic uh, systems of various countries enormously, but for the average person, I think they're not going to see a, a lot of improvement, over, uh, if any at all, uh, in, in the changeover of a system like that. So, so I, I remain highly skeptical of it, but I think the proponents of this would say, well, you know, it's better to have uh, the, the world resting on a number of different currencies rather than just one and giving all of that power to Washington. You talked about gold reserve backing. We've had it in the past. Do you think we'll ever return to it? We're talking about maybe going from the U.S. dollar, the petrodollar, to special drawing rights as the world reserve currency. There are people who hope that we will one day see gold once again as the reserve currency for the world, the, the official money, essentially. Do you think that will ever happen, or is that wishful thinking? It will certainly not happen uh, in the current paradigm, because the current paradigm is one that is based on fiat, and increasingly so. Um, it's not just the fiat nature of the currency, but now it's the ephemeral nature of the currency, so that the, uh, the actual coins and paper in circulation represent only a small sliver of a few percentage points of the actual monetary base, most of which is now bits and bytes. And as we move towards the elimination of cash entirely, as we're increasingly seeing at least uh, talk in that direction, and some worrying laws, as we've talked about, for example, in France, cracking down on cash transactions and, and things of that nature, we're going to see a greater amount of manipulation uh, that's going to be possible in terms of people's bank accounts. Um, and we're going to see negative interest rates and things like that, which would not be possible in a more, even a, even a paper-based currency, let alone a gold-based currency. And that, those types of manipulations are obviously very, very lucrative for the financiers and people at the top of that system who are controlling it. Not so beneficial for you or me, but uh, you know, since when did we ever get uh, put in those calculations? So I think that the movement, the trend, is all in the other direction, which is away from anything resembling actual physical reality, including, of course, gold and silver. Um, so I don't see that happening until and unless there is a fundamental paradigm shift in, in people's understanding of money. And uh, again, I don't see that happening unless and until there is some sort of major cataclysmic event. And unfortunately, as we know, the powers that shouldn't be are always preparing for the major cataclysmic event with their backups that will be paraded out as the saviors of the global economy. And I'm sure some... Some version, some form of uh, globalization of, of, of the money supply is, is waiting as the backup um, in the event of the real, you know, this profound economic collapse. Do you have any idea of when we might see in all the special drawing rights, for example? Is there a time that you can sense where we're going to see some sort of a global reset? And people are going to say, okay, this isn't working. The petrodollar is not working. We're going to have to change this. We're going to have to reestablish, perhaps peg all the currencies. Were they all uh, peso, uh, peso is equal to eight cents on the U.S. dollar or eight cents on, on, the, on the special drawing right dollar or whatever. Um, right. Do you see a time when this is likely to happen? Is it five years away, six months away? When is this likely to happen? 
I think when we're talking about some sort of reset in that in that context, we're looking more at some sort of emergency event, which obviously I can't really predict, and I think that's the point of it. But it could we could imagine um, some sort of cataclysmic um, change in, for example, the U.S. markets precipitated by the Fed uh, rate hike, something along those lines that could cause a severe crisis of confidence in the dollar that would lead to, well, what are we going to do about it? Along comes the special drawing rights. We could imagine that being trotted out. I couldn't imagine a process like that happening all at once. I think it would happen piecemeal, and we'd have to be introduced to the special drawing rights and get used to the idea. And I think it would be a years-long propaganda campaign. But we could imagine how a, a an event could precipitate some sort of collapse scenario that would obviously bring that about. But barring that, I think that ultimately we are looking it, we are looking at a five to ten year time frame, I would say. Um, somewhere in there, we're going to start seeing the, the eclipsing of the U.S. dollar. And again, I don't think it's necessarily something that's going to happen overnight. I think it's something that will happen gradually as, as the SDR or whatever alternative is brought, sort of brought up in the public consciousness and, um, and paraded around on the world stage. And uh, as I say, that could be spirited along by uh, some sort of events that could precipitate some sort of crisis. But uh, uh, specifically on the special drawing rights timetable, we were looking at a decision that was supposed to come before the end of this year on the special drawing rights mm-hmm. basket, and which would be implemented on January 1st, 2016. Um, so from that date, the special drawing rights would or would not include the Chinese yuan, which is the only currency that's being considered for possible inclusion at this point, um, because the special drawing rights criteria are... Um, the, tr- the percentage of global trade that is uh, settled in the currency, and then the other factor is uh, whether or not the, f- the currency is freely usable, freely convertible. And China is the only currency currently that, that, uh, that, uh, that's not in the special drawing rights basket that meets the criteria for gl- percentage of global trade. It's just a question of whether or not it's freely usable enough for the, uh, for the IMF. So that's the only thing that's under consideration. That decision was going to be made before the end of the year and, uh, and ultimately made into reality in January of 2016. However, the IMF has just come out to say that they're now considering a proposal that's come from their internal team that's working on this matter to postpone that to September of 2016. And I'm trying to scry the IMF press release. It looks to me like they're saying that the decision would still be made before the end of the year, whether or not the yuan would the be included. This year, but it wouldn't yes. be implemented until September. But it September wouldn't be implemented until September. However, it's being reported by Reuters and others that they're considering delaying the decision until next year. And so I don't, I, I don't know if that's what they're actually saying. And they're not actually saying it outright right now. It's just kind of a press release they put out with some questions and answers that were in a very vague way. But anyway, that's the general timeline that we're looking at for possible Chinese inclusion in the SDR. I saw a report couple of weeks ago and I just saw one report and other than that I, I would have expected to see a hundred of these reports but I only saw one that alleged that China wasn't really all that interested in being part of the special drawing rights they wanted to go their own way they weren't necessarily interested in signing up to be part of the basket um, have you heard the same report do you think it's credible or do you think it's uh, nonsensical I'm sorry, who wasn't interested? China. China? No, China. no I China. think that's According nonsensical. According to the report, China allegedly said, look, we don't, want to be in the, we don't want to be in that basket. And the implication is China saying, well, we want to be in our own system with the BRICS, 
and we're going to start there, and we're going to start taking down your. That they didn't say this, but that would be the implication. We're going to we're going to give you a run for your money. We're not going uh, to. If they, you, we're going to fight you. Right. Well, if they have said anything to that effect uh, that they w- uh, aren't interested in being included in the special drawing rights, I certainly haven't seen that. So I would have to see that that report and uh, where it sources back to. And I and I only saw it one time. And if it were true, I would have expected to see see it a bunch of times. Right. Yeah. But it is consistent with the idea. I saw another report just lately that they decided they were going to slow down on making a decision on whether or not to bring China in or not bring China in. They're slowing down. Somebody's dragging their heels. If China's reluctant, so other people are reluctant, uh, there's a certain amount of consistency there. But, again, we're just dealing with what may be nothing more than unfounded rumors. We're going to take a break well, with some commercials. Uh, yeah. We'll take a break, and we'll get back, and whatever you got, we'll, we'll, we'll consider it at that time. I'm Alfred Adams here with James Corbett on, the, on financial survival. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free 866-229-3663 that's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. I'm Alfred Addis here with James Corbett on Financial Survival. Programs brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. James, you had a thought 
Um, comment I think you're going to make before we broke for commercials? Yes, I just want wanted to add that if China is at this point saying that they're not interested or don't care about SD, the SDR basket, that's a direct reversal from the only on-the-record official stance that I, I can point to, which was in 2009, the People's uh, Bank of China governor, uh, Zhou Xiaochuan, wrote an essay called Reform the International Monetary System, where he explicitly said, compared with separate management of reserves by individual countries, the centralized management of part of the global reserve by a trustworthy international institution with a reasonable return to encourage participation will be more effective in deterring speculation and stabilizing financial markets. And he goes on to say that the IMF, equipped with its expertise, is endowed with a natural advantage to act as the manager of its member countries' reserves. So. Uh, the People's Bank of China governor is explicitly on the record saying that he thinks the IMF would do a better job handling the world reserve currency and that uh, they're all on board with the SDR as a potential replacement for the U.S. dollar. So I, as far as I know, that's, that's still the official position of the PBOC. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear if uh, there, there has been some correction otherwise. Well, my understanding is that there's also been, over the past 12, 18, 24 months, the government of the United States has expressed a certain amount of uh, wariness. They're saying, well, we don't think China's quite ready to be joined into the basket of SDR um, currencies just yet. And the implication is that the, the government of the United States have made a big issue out of it, but they've been saying, ah, you guys aren't, you're not, you're not adult enough yet to, to be part of the basket. We don't want you in there. Well, that's a little consistent with China saying, all right, fine, you don't want us in there, we won't be in there, we'll start our own. Does that strike you as credible, or does that, again, more Internet rumors? I don't think that at this point China has the firepower to be able to really do anything, uh, such as starting a world reserve currency in competition with the U.S. I mean, I don't think anyone thinks that the yuan is ready or capable or even conceivably possible to overtake the uh, the dollar entirely at this point, and I, I guess if we extend the trend lines out for a couple of decades, we could imagine that gradually happening. But at this point, I mean, the markets in China just aren't developed enough, and I don't think there's enough liquidity, and there's not enough convertibility. There's a lot of structural problems that would make the yuan just not capable of being a world reserve currency at this point. I would agree that it's not capable of being the world reserve currency in the sense that the dollar was from the end of World War II on up until at least 2000. Um, I'd agree that it can't be the world reserve currency, but it could be an alternative world reserve currency. And there's others in there. I mean, to some degree, the English pound is recognized as a world reserve currency. It's not the same status of the dollar, but, you know, you can keep it. It's, there's a certain amount of convertibility there. Um, if we had an alternative, to the extent that Chinese, renminbi, the yuan, they become a viable alternative to the dollar. They're going to take some of the, some of the transactions, the commercial transactions, are going to be removed from the dollar. And as near as I'm able to understand, the dollar's only perceived value right now is largely based on its status as world petrocurrency, and that's faded, that's fractured and world reserve currency, insofar as either one of those is diminished further. Isn't the dollar going to lose value and go into significant inflation? 
yes. I mean, I think if we look at the uh, global trade as a pie, um, when it comes to at least currency settlement, the more trade that is settled in yuan, the less trade will be settled in dollars. And I think we are starting to see that. And that's why the yuan is, uh, is shooting up the charts, as it were, in terms of global trade settlement, although still, I, I believe something like on the order of 8% of global trade now being settled in yuan or something along those lines, whereas 80% or, or more mm. in uh, dollars. So still, I mean, I think there's a long way to go. But yes, I mean, again, this is a gradual process. And it is happening right now. And I, I think as we've talked about before, it's the death of a million paper cuts for the dollar rather than necessarily one big dramatic event. I think it's just the, the general erosion of uh, U.S. Uh, monetary hegemony. I get the feeling that's the way China operates. <laughs> they plan, who knows, 20 years in advance. And it's not their, I get the feeling it's not, the, it's not their philosophy, it's not their nature to deliver one great extraordinary strike they just keep whittling away and whittling away until the tree you know chopping away at the roots take a little cut here a little cut there until the tree finally topples over and no one can exactly say oh look what you've done and although that sounds like a very sly strategy i think the flip side to that is a potential uh, complacency that can work its way into the system which is exactly what we saw i think in the 17th 18th century as europe started having its uh, craze for chinese porcelain and silk and tea and started importing more and more chinese goods and china started to accrue more and more silver bullion and everything was great and tickety-boo until uh basically the british east india company started the opium trade in china and started getting some of that silver back out of the middle kingdom as it liked to think of itself and that bubble was uh, burst pretty profoundly when millions and millions of opium addicts started showing up in China. And ultimately, the end result of that, of course, were the opium wars and uh, the opening up of China by, by hook or by crook or by warship and uh, expeditionary force in this case. So there is a complacency that can work its way into a system where you have that very, very long-term game plan and you think ultimately nothing dramatic is going to happen. Well, it's also, if you are taking a long-term view and your adversary is prepared to take a short-term view that includes sending gunships up the Yangtze, we have, a, we have a very peculiar problem here. This is likely to result in violence that the long-termers maybe are, they were not prepared for. Short-termers... Well, that's it, yes, known. yes. A long-term game plan, especially when we're talking about these economic forces precludes the possibility of, of the military intervention because the military is obviously more about the short term and what can be gained and how it can be controlled, whereas the long-term plan relies on this idea that it's just going to be maybe a, a tension, maybe even a simmering tension, but it's still just going to be contained. But uh, if it spills over into military, uh, direct military confrontation, I think all bets are off the table in terms of that kind of long, slow game plan. You mentioned previously the trade wars lay the foundation for at least one, maybe both, of the World War One, World War Two. What about today's currency wars? We see nations around the globe, with the exception of the United States and Great Britain, perhaps, that are competing against each other in currency wars to, to have their currency inflated and worth less and therefore more competitive and conducive to the sale of exports than the other nations. Is there any chance that today's currency wars can emulate the trade wars of a you know, century ago?
Uh, there's certainly a chance. Yes, it's a question of uh, in in what way I think China enters this or or does not. The way they stick their toe into this uh, is going to be very interesting, especially now, of course, that they've committed uh, hundreds of billions of yuan to this uh, Chinese stock market backstop. Uh, the latest estimate, they've already thrown 900 billion yuan into the, the stock markets over the last few weeks to, to backstop them, personally, basically buying up the stocks through various government outlets. So it's, uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see the way that they really get involved in, if not quantitative easing in the, in the Federal Reserve sense, some form of that. And there's been talk, for example, about buying up um, municipal bonds by the, uh, the PBOC and things of that sort, sort of, uh, you know, stealth QE. And it's really a question of whether they, they enter that fully. Um, at this point, they're still trying to keep the yuan pro- propped up. Um, we've seen some incredible capital outflows in the fir- first couple of quarters of this year, the last couple of quarters of last year, hundreds of billions of dollars per quarter now bleeding out of China. So the PBOC is trying to, uh, to spend down their, their reserve holdings to try to keep the yuan propped up because they're still, I think, angling to get the, well, I think, are still angling to get the uh, yuan and the SDR, so they're trying to to prop the currency up. But if they go the other way with that, and if they do start diluting the currency, um, one can imagine that the global currency war would be on in a very serious and very profound way. And uh, as we talked about, I mean, currency and trade wars have a tendency to spill over into real wars. You're talking about currency outflows from China over the course of the last year or thereabouts. And here's an article from, again, the China Times. And the headlines is China's H1 industrial profits up 11.4%. And it reads, in part, Chinese industrial businesses saw their profits rise by 11.4% year-on-year in the first half of this year. The faster-than-expected growth pace was due to strong growth in June when industrial uh, firms raked in 588 billion yuan in profits, up surprisingly by 17.9% from a year ago. Now, there's more to the article than they talk about. There's, There's some more percentages in here. But nevertheless, if profits, profits are up 11% year over year, um... How does is this a real is this are these real numbers or are these fabricated and made up? Because I, they don't seem consistent with the idea that we've had an enormous capital outflow. No, no, they 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 don't seem. Well, it could I guess just be the question of the um, the profits being being taken offshore um, to try to protect them, perhaps. But but at any rate, no, those are some stunning figures and not ones that I've seen at all. Um, the latest figure I saw was the June industrial profits, which fell 0.3% year on year. And I know that at the end of uh, 2014, or at the beginning of 2015, we saw a record fall in Chinese industri- industrial profits. So I don't know where these 11% numbers are coming from. I haven't seen anything of that sort. And it, it really defies all other forms of, of understanding in terms of any other numbers that we could look at that would give us an indication of underlying industrial capacity in China, everything shows a slowing down of the industrial sector. So I, I, I'm very surprised to hear about those numbers, and I'd have to look into them more, but they don't seem to square with economic reality for me. Yeah, you can take a look at the thechinatimes.com, uh, and it will be on the front page of whatever, at least currently on the front page of that, that document. Um, if the numbers were true, we're left to wonder why the stock market fell by 20%. 
although it are over 20%. It could be just a market correction for after a fantastic rise. But if the numbers are exaggerated, do you suppose those exaggerations may be an attempt by the Chinese government to forestall further declines in the Chinese stock market? Are they singing happy days are here again, whether they are here or they're not here? Are they trying to convince people, oh, look, you don't have to take your money out of the stock market. No need to panic. Things are great. What do you think? Exaggeration for that reason? or uh... That would certainly be one of the reasons why um, that would be being touted, especially right now. And uh, I think, you know, we, we have to, that's why we have to look at all of the numbers coming out of the National Bureau of Statistics there from uh, Beijing with, uh, with the skeptical glance. And mm. so I, yeah, I mean, the timing of that announcement and the, the fact that it doesn't seem to square with any of the other numbers we've been seeing out of China, it really does uh, raise some red flags for me. Uh, I'd have to look more at sort of the, the, the breakdown of those numbers, but it really doesn't seem... It's, yeah, it sounds like propaganda that's designed to reassure markets more than anything else. We have about two minutes left. And you mentioned China referencing itself as the Middle Kingdom. And I've heard the term before, but I have no idea what that means. It kind of implies, okay, if they're the Middle Kingdom, what's the kingdom on the north and what's the kingdom on the south or whatever? It implies there's two other kingdoms. What does the Middle Kingdom mean? Do you know? I, I know that it's the actual Chinese characters for the name of China in Chinese, mm. and I don't know how that's said in Chinese. I know in, in Japanese it's called Chugoku, and the, the characters actually mean middle and country or kingdom. So I, I don't know if that, that represents um, kingdom in the sense that we would think of that or just sort of a a country, a nation, you know, in that, in that sense in the modern era. But anyway, uh, I, as far as I know, that's the the sort of appellation that China has given itself um, since ancient times. And that's, that's the actual literal meaning of the, the characters that make up its name. All right. Well, we've got about 60 seconds left. James, would you like to give people some information on how they can get to the Corbett Report and what they can find? And uh... Well, they can come to Western Japan, I suppose. But uh, barring that, you can just type CorbettReport.com into your browser, and uh, you will find my website along with all of my articles and interviews and videos and all of that good stuff up there. And uh, again, available for free download. Please make the use of it as the resource that it is. And if you're interested in my weekly uh, editorial for The International Forecaster, and bi-weekly actually, you can go to TheInternationalForecaster.com. That's T-H-E InternationalForecaster.com. All right, James, thanks very much. I always enjoy talking to you and always informative. We'll hope to see you again next, uh, next Wednesday night for broadcast on Thursday. And thank you, folks, for listening. We'll be back. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, may the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett from the Corbett Report. Good night. all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? And still there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd pull around and have a ball. 
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316 316- 319-4886. Welcome to the Messiah's Branch Broadcast, a one-hour prophecy program on the American Voice Radio Network, featuring Pastor Dan of the Messiah's Branch Ministry. And now, here's Pastor Dan. Greetings, saints, and welcome to the Messiah's Branch Prophecy Hour. We are broadcasting live from the foothills of Kansas, and we're on the American Voice Radio Network. Today's date is August 6, 2015.
Saints, the world is in turmoil. Most just don't realize it, but we are in that time of the end. And that's the time before Messiah's glorious return. So it's time to get out of sin in the world and look to the holy city. Look to the one who suffered and died for you. Hear that sound of the shofar. Hear the warning. Heed the warning. Get right now before it's too late. Please make this choice tonight. If you need help after this program, call me. I pray for you or with you. If you get the machine, please leave your name, your number, your prayer request, or message. The phone number, of course, is 620-878-4682. In an emergency, my cell phone number is 316-619-4886. Now, folks, there's also another way that you can get prayer requests answered. You can send me a letter in the mail. I'll take it to, to church with me or to service on, on Friday night, and I will we will anoint it with oil. We'll pray on it, and if you want it, we will send it back after it's been anointed and prayed on. Or you can send me an email and, with your address on it and prayer request and a phone number if you want to follow up. But we'll take that one also to church um, and pray on it and anoint it with oil and pray on it. And if you put your address on it, if you want it back, we will send it back to you after it's been anointed and prayed on. So there are two other ways, and don't worry about a stamp. I can pay for the stamp, I'm sure, anyway, and the envelope, so that's free to you. Anyway, you can always find updates with breaking news, our ministry, radio program archives, and our mailing address at our blog, which is very simply prophecyhour.com. At prophecyhour.com, you can find my email address, okay? And remember, we are a national satellite radio program, and we are simulcast live on the net, so we are international, too, so please Pray about supporting airtime. Airtime is not free. This is not just a podcast. We are a real live radio program. Anyway, our our archives can be found at prophecyhour.com and branch.potomatic.com. Both are smartphone friendly. In fact, at branch.potomatic.com, they have an Apple app and an Android app. So, you know, uh, download them and listen up. But you don't really need to download um, the apps to hear our programs. You can just click play when you go over there, and they're both sites are real smartphone friendly. And at prophecyhour.com, there's a link on the right that says End Time Radio Archives. You click that, that will take you to uh, all of our radio archives. And also at messiahsbranch.com, you can also find all of our radio programs. Now, uh, a prayer, and we'll bring on tonight's guest. Dear Heavenly Father, In Yeshua HaMashiach's name I pray. Father, I pray that radio tonight goes according to your will and not mine, nor our guest will, Father, but your will. Please give everyone out there ears and wish to hear the truth. And I pray this program will glorify you, Father, and not the world. In your son's mighty name, Yeshua HaMashiach, amen and amen. Well, tonight's guest is the author of Understanding Gender Confusion, and her name is Denise Schick. she is the director of Help for Families and Outreach that brings an understanding of the emotional pain and spiritual confusion that people face when a loved one has a gender, a gender identity confusion. She, also, she is the author of My Daddy's Secret and leads a church-based support group for people with sexual addiction and was the administrator of family-related issues with TGIF, that's Transgender International Fellowship. Denise has worked uh, in crisis pregnancy counseling, a substance abuse clinic, and started an absence tea program. Denise, uh, Denise and her husband, Mark, have four children. 
with gay marriage now legal, we're seeing so many other abnormal things being put forward as as normal, such as transit sites and all kinds of other things. People saying it's okay uh, to be what gender, whatever gender you want to be, basically do as you will, do as you will. And we know that do as you will is a call from the devil. Are there anyone or any groups out there speaking up tonight? Well, I think with this guest, we'll see. Welcome, Denise. Are you there with me? I am. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come on with you. Well, amen. They did send me your book, and I really haven't had a chance to read it yet, um, but they sent me some questions. But I, I prefer to say, you know, sit back and we'll have a, a good conversation. Um, so what did I not catch in, in your introduction? Tell us a little something about you. That'll uh, start this. Well, I, I come from this issue from a personal experience. When I was nine years old, my father had told me of his desire to become a woman. And so I had uh, obviously, you know, lived with the emotional uh, turmoil that goes through the family members. Um, also understanding that our loved one is really distressed about their biological gender, uh, the confusion and the pain that they live in as well. Okay. Well, what do you mean by gender confusion? What, what are we talking about here? You know, we are talking about today, which is the most common uh, way to say this, is for perhaps a man to say that he feels like he, you know, is a man that is trapped in, in, in a man's body instead of having a woman's body, that his brain is not matching what is telling him physiologically um, of what God had created him to be. Um, so the person is generally in a severe distress um, about their biological gender. They are very uncomfortable in their own skin, if we can use that phrase. Um, but to be honest, you know, so much of this starts when they're children. And we all know that that is the ideal time for the enemy to start to come in and whisper lies about who they are and who they are as a creation of God. Now, sometimes this happens through emotional turmoil experiences that they have that are transferred over into their um, their belief system, a false belief system of who they are. Right, absolutely, um, false belief system. So, you know, um, number one, well, I'll say right off, and I'm sure you agree with this, I don't, when the father creates this, I don't believe that he makes mistakes. In other words, puts a woman in a man's body or vice versa. I don't believe that's possible. Um, as pastor for many years, I, I see that most problems that people have, whether it's gender identity or relationship problems, usually does start at, at a very early age. Do you agree or disagree? I do agree. I agree very much that it starts from a very early age, and it's just a time where the enemy is able to come in and deceive, uh, to use any hurt or rejections, experiences, negative experiences that a person has had to use it for his own agenda. Right. Absolutely. Um so um, I'm getting uh, from you. So, so now you actually deal with people that that have the the uh, as you call them uh, gender confusion or whatever. Um, you deal with these people. You have a support group. What's the story there? 
Yes, we have our ministry reaches out to the family members that are going through this and as well to offer a support system for the individual that is coming at this from the perspective that God does not make mistakes and they understand um, that they have a manifestation of issues that has, you know, has, has brought this out um, to this belief system that, uh, that they're being deceived to believing. So we come alongside of the individuals as well, and really just is a um, common good uh, family of God, you know, coming alongside right. and supporting one another biblically uh, and open-hand approach for their restoration and however yeah. the Lord will, will use us in that manner. Amen. Um, there, I, I praise the work that you're doing because, you know, so many, you know, um, uh, this is it's on such an increase. You know what I, what I'm saying? Since we've seen um, gay marriage come out, then we're seeing you know use whatever bathroom you want because you know you get to pick whatever gender. Um, why do you think we're seeing all these things right now? You know, I think that we are we are seeing this um, because of the media, uh, because of the culture. You can't even go past the grocery store aisle through the magazines without seeing some headlines of something of, you know, Bruce Jenner or this topic in general. Um, you've got the media in our TV um, outlets. It, it's all around. It's in the schools uh, because of the agenda that's behind this and special interest groups of how they've gotten into the schools and the colleges. Our, our children are surrounded with this issue. So the the most important thing as parents and as a culture that we need to recognize as church and, and caring and loving family members is to realize that our children are not protected from this issue. It's, it's surrounding them. And so it's so important for folks to take note of what's going on in their schools, what's going on in the culture, and how that impacting and shaping their child. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, a lot of people, and I'm, uh, you may agree or disagree, but I, I know a lot of people will go, well, you know, I've never seen it on TV yet, so I don't believe that. Or, you know, they get their values from the TV set, and which is basically left and basically anti-Christian or anti-God, so to speak. Um, and it's in such a dramatic increase with all those outside influences saying, you know, and trying to, they they do a real good job of trying to say, well, this is the norm, when in reality there are very few um, homosexuals or bisexuals and those sort of things in the country, with the statistics being that most people are basically straight. But with all that overwhelming evidence, it's, it, or people, or, you know, the mainstream saying that, um, it, it, is it, doesn't that make it so much harder to communicate with these people? It, it does. Um, you know, and the thing with how they represent their messages. Um, if people would investigate a little bit further on the truths and the scientific uh, proof behind things, for instance, we hear about the suicide rate, and it's very high. There's a 41% that attempts suicide, and 31% of these folks with gender confusion are successful at that. When we hear uh, the the culture's message, they will say that it is this many suicides because their family members have not accepted them or that they've had issues in their employment, etc. 
Um, but the truth of the matter is um, they will also say that it's because we have not accepted or they had not had sex reassignment surgery. But within that 41% of those that attempt suicide, it is as well with a mixture of those that have said, had sex reassignment surgery and have discovered that it hasn't taken care of the underlying issues of the heart. Right, right. So how did you get involved in this? Seriously, I mean, not very, you don't, and that's what I said at the first program, we don't, well, we have a, a lot of people that are standing and saying, well, this is wrong. We're not seeing anybody, I'm not seeing a lot of people, um, you know, actually getting into the ministry of it and doing the work of it. I mean, it's a real blessing. How did you get into this? Well, I I actually had told God no for a couple of years when he was calling me into this. And, <laughs> and basically listen, said, no, thank he? you. Yeah, no, he did not. I said, no, thank you. You know, been there, done that, you go find somebody else. And, and that's really how I had felt, because it is such a painful uh, thing that happens in your personal heart and soul, and then to speak out publicly on this, especially at a time in the culture when you are not accepted, uh, always lovingly, um, and you have to take your family into consideration and different things of that nature. But the Lord obviously did not take no for an answer to go find somebody else. And I happened to call focus on the family one day, and they put me in touch with a man that was in this type of ministry, and I was very blessed and honored to work under him for six years. And the Lord just opened up one door after another. Um, the funny thing is that I will use this humor here is I don't even like to read books. And so another thing the Lord has me doing is writing books. So I don't, um, I, I've given up saying to the Lord the things that I don't like to do because I'm afraid if I voice it, they're going to be the things oh, that he's going to set you. before me because there's been several things, you know, like that. Yeah, so I just think what a, what a sense of humor God has. Yeah, absolutely. I really think that's funny because, you know, uh, my wife and I feel the same way and the people of, of Messiah France, you know, will start to say, well, I don't want it. I say, hush your mouth. You know, don't say that. Don't say it. Don't say it. You know, because that's that, that's what he'll have you do, you know. Amen. I'm it it is. Yeah, amen. That's so funny. Yeah. That sounds so like us. But you know it's, what that shows in our life? That shows that we really know that he's real. Amen. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was really through my prayer time uh, and seeking the Lord, finally telling Him, because of the pressure that I felt on my heart, my soul, it was just felt like a boulder on my chest. I mean, it was so heavy. And I finally had broke down and said to the Lord, if you want me to do something, you've got to open up a door, because I don't know where to go. I mean, I came from a very small country town. That, yeah. you know, us country folks, when you don't know people or how to, what door, you can't push doors open that God doesn't open. And yeah. so it was just through, I think, believing really that I just had come to obedience and accepting the direction, the path that he was asking me to walk. Yeah, amen. Um, as as far as being country, you know, I, my wife and I came from our mission church, to the homeless and poor and those that need us is in Wichita, Kansas, where we lived most of our life. But then when we got saved, we moved, you know, 60 miles away. 
And uh, we live in a town of less than 500 houses. And so all of my children have been, you know, have grown up in the country, but they've all grown up for the last 16 years going to Wichita and serving the people. Um, I want to mention the name of your book right now because I I think this is really important for people to get. Folks, her her book is Understanding Gender Confusion, a Faith-Based Perspective. Um, I'll ask her just before break how to get it or where to find her website. Now, anyway, um, why do you – there seems to be an onrush. Now, why do you think that, that uh, I mean, beyond just the, this gender thing, I mean, you know, it looks like almost with sexual things to the general public, everything's okay. You think there's a reason why we're seeing that right now? Other, or what's, you said the media, but what's fueling the media? Yeah, you know, exactly. And, and we look at the politicians, we look at the political statements that are being made. Um, where we've moved to a Supreme Court that has approved gay marriage uh, and embraced that and therefore, you know, expecting the whole country to embrace something that that God has ordained to be holy uh, between a man and a woman. There is so much that has happened within the transgender issue within the last two years of us seeing such a progressive movement. I've never known a progressive movement like this, and in such a short time, to make, um, to create the differences that they have. They proclaimed, um, the transgender folks had proclaimed that this would be their year, and indeed they are fulfilling that as far as the year of making and creating um, an alliance um, for themselves, for their belief system of being born in the wrong body and becoming and creating the new norm, as we hear. And that's something that Bruce Jenner had commented on, is I am the new norm. Um, New normal, you know. um, The only way that I can see this new normal being the new normal is, you know, I have to look to my Bible. Um, You know, I think that we're, I think what we're seeing is not, reversible. I don't think that we can put any of this back in the box. Do you? No, I I don't. Um, it's funny, there were six of us that were involved in the amicus briefs against the gay marriage, and the one um, daughter of a gay couple keeps saying to me, Denise, do you think we'll see this turn back? Do you think we can see this turn back? And I don't. Um, I just think that the fallen world continues to live in the fallen world of the realm of what it is. And I do believe that one day uh, we will see judgment uh, for what we are approving and um, taking uh, the truth and twisting them, uh, taking God's word as no longer being holy, and we're standing on. we become weak in our country, sadly to stand up for the biblical principles that yeah. we were really founded on. Amen. And and that's right. You know, we talk about biblical principles. You know, this. it, it seems like that, you know, well, I do know this. You know, I, I've seen some studies where, like, you know, only less than 10% of the people in the United States have even read the New Testament. And so, you know, we're... We're not. We're getting generations of people that are not even putting the word into it, and then for some reason, um, it seems to me that the you know the the mainstream church, as lack of call it something better, is just not speaking up. Why do you think they're not speaking up? Or yeah, I I think some of that is because of, of fear. 
of saying the wrong thing, or if they they teach the scriptures for what they are, even on homosexuality, that the fear of people leaving the church and what that could mean for them to survive financially. Um, other times, I think the fear of not wanting to upset their people. Um, but and and I've heard this, so I, I know this is coming even from parents. You know, they don't want to go into church and have a preacher that is talking about. Uh, the godly principle of sex and making their child feel any less than, but it's the Word of God where lives are changed. And it is through the truth that strengthens our lives and our faith and who we are in Him. Yeah, amen. Um, Somewhere along the line, um, the church decided not to preach the truth out of fear of being politically correct or whatever, but, you know, that, there's supposed to be more of us in this country than there are of them, so to speak, you know, meaning the ungodly, but, um, you know, they just won't speak up. Um, we got about a minute before break. Where can they find, you got to, I know you have a website, you want to tell them where your website is and how they can get the book and, you know, uh, and if they have a problem, can they reach you or what? Mm-hmm. Yes, they can reach me, and our website is www.helpforfamilies.com, and that's with the number four, helpforfamilies.com, and the book is available through Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Everything's available through Amazon, just about. Yeah, everything yeah, is. Amen. Good old Amazon. Yeah, well, I'm on Amazon. You know, I, I, it didn't used to be that way. I've been doing radio since 2001, and it didn't used to be everything was on Amazon, and so, but I, every, that's you know, everybody would say, oh, that's on it. Anyway, we'll be back, folks. I'll quit rambling. We'll be back in three minutes with more Denise Schick and more about her book. We'll be back. Right back. Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. 
You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316 316- 
or you can call me uh, at 620-878-4682. And now we're talking about a really important subject, and it's Understanding Gender Confusion. That's the name of the book. And we're talking with Denise Schick. Are you there with me, Denise? You still there? I am. Well, praise the Father. Yes. Um, I was looking over these questions you sent me, and I do want to ask you a couple of them. But, uh, again, I really want to – I just really feel blessed by your ministry. And uh, I'm going to make sure I take you to our prayer circle tomorrow night at the Mission Church because, um, as I told our producer, you know, it's almost like you're jumping out in front of a freight train with the way things that are going right now. And so um, it must be a real unction from the Father to do that. So thank you for your work. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Amen. Anyway, um, you, why do you think these are happening? You, I've got, you think it's the, because of the breakdown in the family that so many young men are fleeing their masculinity? Um, you said that. What do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, it, there are so many uh, different reasons um, for this. However, within the 11 years of this ministry and uh, speaking with folks and uh, learning about their background and their emotional situations, what they've been through. Uh, with, with the, I do believe that the divorce is, is one thing that has wounded children differently, and that's not coming against or, you know, my aim is not to, to come against an individual or people that have been divorced, but just speaking from the childhood wounds. Um, when a child has seen a father that has been abusive, whether emotionally, physically, in those ways, especially um, with the children, that can be very detrimental. With a son, uh, the thought of, I don't want to be like him, can enter into the heart. And almost a personal vow that he makes to distance himself from being a man. Being a man means being like my father who is emotionally um, abusive or possibly emotionally detached from the son, where he's hungering right. that. So um, that, that's one cause with the sons, but as well as with the daughters, because when they have seen this type of abuse and their mother appears to be weak to them, they make a personal vow that they don't want to be like their mom. They don't want to be weak. They want to have control over their life and control over how they are treated. So they end up, in a sense, running from their femininity, uh, looking for a more secure place to land. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but there's yeah. other underlining issues. You know, sometimes it is sexual abuse. With my father, there was sexual abuse. Uh, my grandmother was an alcoholic, and his father was very busy uh, creating and, and starting his own business. So it was mm -hmm. almost like the perfect a tornado, you know, to, to take him up in this and, and to cause him to feel like the lost little boy that the neighbors knew, and actually that's how they described him. So there's so many different situations. Each one's different and unique, and, of course, their personality temperament and how that comes into the mix. If you have a sensitive child, a sensitive son, and is in this type of a situation or just feels detached from his father, um, there's going to be that disconnect from the masculine world. Right, right. And I, I believe there, there's so much in the world right now that is already trying to make men not act as men. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, yes, you know. exactly. Yeah. And to make them feel less than 
for leading a home, you know, the disrespect that uh, as far as the feminist, uh, the women of, t- of today's culture and past, uh, nobody wants a man to lead. When that is what God and how God has created him to be as the leader in the home, um, to, to, in a sense, as a wife, to embrace that and enjoy that. But we're not taught that today in today's culture. Um, and it, it's very sad because we have demasculized men for so long that I, I can see where they're confused, like, what does being a man, what is that all about? Right, 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 absolutely. Absolutely, a man should be a man. You know, I grew up, uh, you know, I'm 60 years old, but, you know, when I grew up, um, there, the media did have positive role models, you know what I mean? Like, I grew up with the Cowboys, like, uh, not only John Wayne, but the Lone Ranger and everybody. And, and you know, they were courteous to women, you know what I'm saying? They were always mm-hmm. um, there to defend the, the defenseless and to defend women. And, you know, it was a good breakup. I don't I don't know at what point all that changed. I just seemed like I woke up in a different world one day. Um, but I grew up mm-hmm. believing that a man should be like a hero. You know what I mean? And you understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I remember when men used to open up the door for women as they entered the store. Uh, you know, simple things like that. And today you don't see that. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it has been so long since, you know, that you see things like that out of common courtesy. Um, it, what a world that it has changed and how fast it's changed. And I, I think that is an important note that we need to take as, as we look at where we are in this world and the time, you know, that perhaps that we, we have left and don't have left. Well, amen. So um, we don't, but us as believers and people that know right um, shouldn't, you know, I still open the doors for people when, you know, or or at like Sam's the other day, I gave a a woman, you know, uh, a basket, you know, everybody was rushing in. So I gave the woman the basket that I had, you know what I mean? But I ended up giving out Uh a whole row of baskets. I couldn't get this. I gave out all the baskets, you know what I'm saying? And then Uh I had to wait for one. It was funny, but... That's what I was brought up believing that I was supposed to be, you know, humble. I was supposed to help. That's what we were supposed to do. So what I'm trying to say is, though, in this crazy mixed-up world, we shouldn't go along with it. Shouldn't we still do these things and try to stand out? No, we shouldn't go along with it because then we're, we are, there's no difference between us and the world. You know, there's supposed to be a difference between Christ followers and the world. Right. We are right. to be a witness to others as well in our actions, our words, and how we live our lives. And if we're living as the culture is, if we are embracing and accepting um, the world's ways, then we are no different. We right. are standing by our moral obligations to God. Yeah, amen. Um, so, you know, let's go with this. Um, what happens if one day somebody wakes up and realizes their child, whether it's a male or female, is is having this problem. What should our first reaction be? What, what should we do? You know, the first reaction should be if this is a child, um, a minor, um, for either way, just for the loved one not to feel like there's something wrong with them, like a panic mode. 
it's really understanding the courage, whether a child or adult, that this is taken to be able to share of their struggle. With a minor, it's really a, a, uh, a good thought to seek out a counselor that has the same ethics, uh, same belief system that you do. I say to be very cautious and to interview. Uh, you know, 70% of children that have gender dysphoria actually outgrow it. But that's another message that we don't hear in the world. Um, we just hear that if they're gender dysphoric, then therefore we have to give them hormone blockers and allow them to proceed in this opposite gender. Identification. When there's 70% of them that will outgrow this. So with children, you know, many times it, it just is going to take uh, parenting tools, relationship tools, spending time with that child. There's, it's such a positive. The earlier, the younger the child is that comes forth, the, the better the chances are of the relationships having some healing and for that individual to grow up to, to feel confident in their born gender. Um, so that's, that's so important uh, that we right. continue to love them. We don't treat them any differently. We, we walk alongside of them. Uh, as family members and offer, you know, a godly support. Uh, mentorship is so important. With the adult men, you wouldn't believe how many that I hear from that are 65 years old and they still just hunger for a hug from their physical father here on earth. And right. many of them will never have that because their father's passed away. So it's really understanding what they're going through and how to come alongside of this type of emotional brokenness, this detachment that they have, and the importance of mentorship, of friendship, and of walking alongside of them biblically. And the Lord is our healer, and the Lord yeah, is the yeah. one that will meet them in the midst of this. We're not going to be their healer, and that's not our job. <laughs> it's, it's God's right. job, <laughs> and, and he's going to do it far better than what any of us could. <laughs> So it's, you know, that's where we just, we, we just cry out to the church and please understand, you know, these folks are struggling. There are some that really struggle, that really do not want to take the culture's method as a fix. They right. are trying to work through this godliness, and that is the desire of their heart, and we need to be there for them. Right. To support Amen. them and to embrace them and help them to embrace their identity and who they are in Christ. Yeah, Amen. When it comes to children, I believe that we are we are responsible to. A lot of people say, "Well, I'll let my child." Yeah, I hear this a lot nowadays. I'll let my. I'm not forcing them to go to church or do this or that. I allow them to make their own decision what they want to be when they turn 18 or what or move out of the house. What is our responsibility to teach them about God, the Father, and His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, or Jesus Christ? That did save us. It is our responsibility. And the more that we can bring them up in His love, then the less that we're going to see of this. Second thing I wanted to say is, you know, I remember growing up, I knew lots of girls, and I mean it not in a, you know, as a girlfriend, sense, but, you know, that were friends, that were tomboys. You know what I mean? And... And, mm -hmm. you know, that didn't turn out to be, um, you know, gay people or didn't turn out to later on when they got to adulthood cutting their hair off and becoming a man. The, I mean, is it, the, I mean right. is it our culture that's doing that, that's telling those girls, well, now you need to be a man, yeah. do you think? Yeah, 
I believe it is. Um, first of all, I believe that it is the parent's responsibility to raise that child up in, in the Lord. And it is also our responsibility as parents not to give our children everything that is not good for them to be able to hand it over with a dish and say, you want this, okay. You know, and what are we teaching them about what God says and the boundaries and right and wrong? We've got to be there as as an influence, a very important influence in our children's lives. The choice of that is theirs when they leave the home or when they become of adult age. But we are called by God. He has entrusted those children into our hands. Um, So that comes with a great responsibility. As far as the tomboys, I do, I think back to when I speak with ministers different occasions, I said, you know, I was one of those tomboys. I like to play with trucks in the sand, and I like to climb trees. And my one friend that I grew up with, her and I would go through the woods and you know, sticks and climb the tree here and all kinds of whatever we could do. So much of it would have been considered a boy type of activity. Now, if I was that child today, especially with my father's influence and normally struggled with, and I'm doing all these things, and I go to my school counselor, and I say, I'm really struggling, you know, with who I am. This is what's going on. I, I believe the chances would be better that I would end up either in a, in a homosexual or transgender thought process right. because I was already second-guessing who I was. I had taken the imagination, which we all know is very powerful, to what I would look like as a man and then what I would act like and what that meant for a relationship, what that meant for a life. And so my mind was playing these games. So to be a child today... In this, where I would be getting the affirmation of it in school with the school teachers, the affirmation of the school counselors, um, within my peers, I don't know what kind of mess I could have been. Right, right, absolutely. And so that's that, that's what I mean. You know, we're we're fighting against so many things. You have the the, you know, it's not as hard with the schools like out here where I'm at. You know, um, out here in the country, but you just go 60 miles away. The schools that are you know, in larger cities, I guess that's where the problem is, and closer to the east or west coast, you know, you have these problems. But, you know, um, it, it's there, and it's coming into to the to the schools. So people, if they send their children to a school and they're not homeschooling, then I strongly suggest, don't you, that they get involved and really know what's going on in their school? Yes, yeah. You know, find out what kind of books. Um, the children or even your uh, teens are having to read or have read to them, uh, even the high school. Um, we just, you don't realize until you get into that school to check it out and to see, pay attention to what is going on in the school because if you, in fact, disagree with homosexuality or transgender issues, um, you know, whether you disagree or not, if you don't find out what's going on in that school, you're teaching them one thing at home, but the school has a different agenda. And right. they are teaching them something that is opposite of what, what is really best for them in their lives. Right, absolutely. Um, my son, for instance, uh, I have them, you know, I, did, I didn't know what they were going to be teaching them in history. I do check on all their curriculum. But I had a, a social studies book that the teacher, you know, I would go, I go, you know, along with them chapter by chapter at home. And if I seen something I disagree with, 
you know, um, I would simply tell them, and, and they would either admit my, ch- uh, you know, not have my child do it, or you know, give a better explanation. You know what I'm saying? But that comes from hands-on right. involvement and having a good teacher. You know, the but you won't find that same cooperation with, like I say, in bigger cities and in every school, right? Right, and that and that was the trick trick words that you used, hands-on. You know, as parents, to be a hand-on parent, to take the time, we've become a very busy society, and families are very busy. They're taking their child to this activity, to this sport, coming home late from work, uh, you know, all, all of that mixture that for them to even be able to sit down and have a family dinner is very rare in a lot of families. So in that busyness, we are losing that hand-on. We are losing our teachable moments where we're able to insert knowledge and wisdom that we've learned through the years and that we've learned through scriptures. Yeah. Amen. I I strongly believe that, you know, what we're really seeing with, with all this, it it comes from, it's, it's really a breakdown of family. You know, um, we, we, to break the church, you break the family, you know, to break uh, the body of Messiah, because, you know, I mean, even our relationship with Messiah is we're, you know, we're, mar- you know, going to be married to him. We're his bride. I mean, that whole makeup system is based on family. And uh, this is a destruction of family in general. Yes, it is. It's a destruction of the family. And when we look at a uh, culture that has immersed and embraced uh, the folks haven't reached uh, sex reassignment surgery. It is rebellion against their creator. And so, you know, that that alone just says we're breaking down the family. We're breaking down everybody in that family. The grief, the compound grief that goes on for the family members when they've been asked to forget the identity of the person they've loved all these years to all of a sudden to accept a new son or a new daughter is absolutely heart-wrenching for the parents to go through the confusion that it brings to the children, the grandparents, and the mourning process that they go through. And it's, it's a loss. And the individual has lost their identity as God had created them as well. So it's just, to me, it was really Satan's, he had such a wondrous blueprint plan of how to destroy God's creation and God's family. Yeah, amen. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I believe it is, the, you know, it's inevitable. I mean, in the, the time that we're at, we, we, re, we clearly, if we read the Bible, we can see that in the time before Messiah's return. And, of course, I don't know the day, the hour, this week, this month, but we are supposed to recognize the season and the time that we're in. And, you know, uh, with the children, it talks about children being un. Uh, you know, rebellious. It talks about people being truce breakers, breakers. Just you know, the whole society as a whole, um, you know, being wrong, being against God the Father. And so, um, the best thing that we can do is is try to you know, number one, a keep our families together. But you know, we need to the Word of God. We've got to get it in our children, and we've got to keep getting it in ourselves. Yes, and to keep praying. You know, praying for. Um, our children, praying for our families, praying for those that are lost in this type of confusion, praying that they see the truth, that they see through the lies, the deception that they have um, come to believe. 
Well, I know. I, you know, our father can change anything, you know, and he sent, uh, you know, Yeshua, his, his son came here, and because of his son, we have a connection to that father, and we have direct access through the son to him. Pray, pray, pray. He can change and do anything. And people who so often get frustrated because we live in a right now society, right now. Well, I prayed for it, and he didn't answer me. You know, you need to wait on the Father, and you need to you need to continue in prayer. But you got to realize his timing and his way of answering is different than what you want with this instant society that we live in. Um, back to you. You've got about. I'll tell you, you have about three minutes. Um, so you bring forward whatever you want to the last couple minutes. You know, I, I just want to say this is a, it is a quick um, world that we live in. We want to go to McDonald's and we want a number one, fix it all, Lord. For number two, I'll give you half control, and I want the other control. We just need to give God control of our lives and to seek Him, and that is where true peace will be found. Yeah, amen. He's the only one that can give us peace, and believe me, it's a release. I know, you know, I was a sinner in the world. You know, I've been out of the world about 26 years before that. I was, you know, one of the worst people walking around. But he saved me from all that. He changed me by him, my, and then he gave me a family afterwards. I didn't get my family until after I changed. But he is a God of miracles, and he'll do it. You just have to have the faith to believe it. And he can help these people, um, absolutely. But you have to have faith and ask him to draw them to him because nobody comes to the Father mm-hmm. unless he draws them. So, amen. Uh, understanding gender confusion. So how long has the book been out, real quick? Um, it has been out for about uh, eight months, I believe. Eight months. Um, and I'm, I'm writing a new one. So God is, is showing me really? more on this new one. What's the new one? There well, you go. I don't What's know the, the title one? yet, but I will be addressing, uh, from a biblical standpoint, the situations that families face and this and the decisions that they have to make. Um, so it's it's probably the toughest one that I've written this far. Yeah, amen. You know, I I don't even want to say it out loud, but the, the father has been putting it on my heart to write a book, and I've been trying to put it off, but I'm at that point where I can't do it any longer. Maybe when mm-hmm. you get the new book out, uh, you come back on and talk to us about it. How about it? Okay, sounds good. All right, all right. Well, give them your website one more time, and then I'll say goodbye to you, dear. It's helpforfamilies.com. That's with the number four, helpforfamilies.com. Amen. And, folks, wherever you, if you I know you're listening to it, a lot of you are listening to this live right now, but if you get it in the podcast, wherever the podcast is at, there will be a link to our website. Well, goodbye, Denise, and thanks for being on with me. Goodbye and shalom to you. Thank you so much. God bless. All right. You be blessed. Bye-bye. Well, folks, uh, we're in a crazy mixed-up world, and, you know, um, you should get her book. You know, not everybody, I mean, you're, I, you know, this woman um, is, to me, is a patriot, is, you know, a real Christian in the sense that, you know, she's willing to stand up. Right now, do you realize how hard it is to have that kind of a ministry right now? But that ministry, guess what? That should be with each and every one of you. Just because you, well, I got a buddy that's a homosexual or whatever. Well, you know, when was the last time that you shared with him the Lord Yeshua and told him that, um, guess what? If you don't change, you're going to burn. And that's the truth. 
We have to be truthful. We have to be truthful out of love and with love. Yeah, I, I, like she says, you know, you need to find a counselor, somebody in the Lord to do it. But you need to, to, to love these people, but not love them to the point to where they think it's okay. That's nothing changes. You have to let them know that there's a consequence for their action. But as far, you know, women changing into men and men changing into women, pray for them. Try to seek counseling, but you are supposed to be in the Word enough yourself that you can give them counsel. Keep your children and your family in the Word. Pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church, but you must remember that there is really only one God. He is your Father, and He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. His Son is Yeshua HaMashiach, and He gave His life for our repented sins. He rose after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And through him, and only through him, is the way to the Father. Remember, always, always, always be a blessing to others. Pray about supporting Wichita Mission Church. It's a new month. We need to get things stocked up and paid. Just pray about it. And radio airtime, pray about that, too, because we are a real live radio program, and we're not just a podcast, even those costs, but airtime costs more. So pray about supporting airtime. Lord our God, Father King Universe, asking Yeshua HaMashiach's name, that the Father blesses and keeps you, and his face shines upon you, and is gracious to you, and gives you peace like no one or nothing else can. Until next Thursday, this is Pastor Dan saying goodbye and shalom. You've just heard the Messiah's Branch broadcast featuring Pastor Dan. To contact Dan on the Internet, go to messiahsbranch.org. To write to Dan, send a note to Messiah's Branch, 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Tune in next time for Messiah's Branch. Food prices going up, home being closed, unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. 316-619-4886. Job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll free, 866 
866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom As men get older, they are subject to hormone imbalance. And when this happens, men can experience osteoporosis, memory loss, irritability, blood sugar imbalance, weight gain, enlarged prostate, erectile dysfunction, and risk of stroke. The human endocrine system manufactures hormones. Why not feed your system plant nutrition to make the hormones that are right for you? For centuries, these herbs have been used to balance the male hormone system. Men, you've waited long enough for the male hormone formula. Call Apothecary Herbs toll-free, 866-229-3663 for the male hormone formula. 866-229-3663 or online at thepowerherbs.com. 866-229-3663 where your healthcare options just became endless. Don't make the aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom resident herbalist Wendy Wilson. Hope you had a great day. Here on Herb Talk, we're here to empower you. That's what we like to do. Magical engineer Frank and I have it all together. Uh, We thank you for joining us on American Voice Radio Network, by the way. We're going to be talking about photo power or phyto power, however you want to say it, Uh, plant nutrients. We're going to talk about how we can power up our systems with those. Also, we're going to be talking about some viral invaders because we're going to be turning the corner here into fall soon. And we want to be up on all that so we can stay healthy through the cold and winter months. 
And we have a quack report, but before we get to all that great stuff, big salute and semper fide to righteous men and women in uniform. I'm praying for righteous leadership. Somebody asked me today, who do you like for president? And I'm like, please, uh, you know, I have to pray in righteous leadership. I, I'm so over the lawyers and the, uh, the you know, career politicians. I don't know about you, but I am so done with that. So I'm praying for righteous men of valor to take the, you know, country by the reins and steer it right. God's will be done on that. So I'm praying for truth and justice. I'm praying for God's hand to guide. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.